Let's get into our first big thing off the top here. Uh, And, you know, yesterday, the only big thing happening yesterday was not just the Disney announcements. It was also the highly anticipated and looked forward to game awards happened last night. And of course, we got a lot of narrative storytelling going on in games these days. We've been talking about them for the last couple of years. And a lot of people just forgot the game awards were happening yesterday. And I understand why. But really, you could have renamed the Game Awards yesterday to the Last of Us 2 Awards. So the Last of Us 2 was the big winner of the evening, taking the the biggest prizes, taking home Game of the Year, Game Direction of the Year, Game Narrative of the Year, and a number of others. Ghost of Tsushima also won a number for Art Direction and things like that. It's a beautiful, gorgeous game. Uh, And I got to tell you, I know Last of Us 2 has been a game that has been controversial because there are some people who really, really didn't like it. Um, And I did not sit down with my PS4 and play it. I watched like the 12, 13, however many hours long, the the basically cutscene movie of it was. And Rob, I remember talking to you and and telling you, I, there, there are games that have good narratives, but games are not made with the narrative specifically in mind. They're made for gameplay in mind. And that's the way it should be. I have never seen a game ever that had the type of artistic narrative, powerful narrative that Last of Us 2 did. I felt like I watched some kind of chomky, like five part miniseries uh, on the I just it was I was enthralled with it. I loved every second of it. I couldn't believe the depth of the character at its core. The game is about and the story is about what pain can do to people. And what, how pain can change people. And I was floored by it. And I got to say, while my wife was cheering for Animal Crossing uh, last night, because she's a big <laughs> Animal Crossing fan, I was very satisfied to see that uh, that Last of Us 2 actually won Game of the Year. Uh, your thoughts on the uh, on the awards I got given out last well, night? You know, it's not exactly a shocker coming out from some left field. Oh, my gosh, John. Last of Us 2 won Game Awards. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think there's been a more uh, – I don't think one game had it more in the bag, maybe in the history of gaming, than Last of Us 2 did. But, you know, again, despite all the gaming controversy around the actual content of the game, uh, I have not played Last of Us 2 yet. I love Last of Us 1, so it doesn't surprise me. Last of Us 1 had some of the most immersive, and uh, uh, I think the character development in that game was next level. So – I know people thought some of the choices were controversial in The Last of Us 2, but it doesn't surprise me that it swept. Yeah, I, again, I, I don't have any dog in the hunt. I'm, I'm not a huge gamer, so I, I really don't care. I just sat down and watched it, and I just – I didn't want it to end, to be honest with you. I, I had a great time with it. Anyway, guys, the question is for you. What do you think? If you're into games and stuff like that at all, what do you think about Last of Us 2 kind of dominating the game awards? Jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. One more thing before we get into our Disney coverage, and there is a lot of thing to co- lot of things to cover. As a matter of fact, I was planning today to just really focus exclusively on the Disney announcements from yesterday, and we will be spending a lot of time on that. But then this article came to my attention by director Denis Villeneuve, good Canadian kid, by the way. Uh, he, of course, directed Blade Runner 2049. Amazing. He uh, he is directing the upcoming Dune. Amazing. He has directed every movie this dude has directed has just crushed it, Rob. Like uh, people, film cinephiles go nuts over this director. He is absolutely incredible. And we cannot wait to see Dune. You guys remember 
that after the Warner Brothers announcement that they were taking all of their 2021 films and moving them onto HBO Max, my initial reaction was, I get it. I, I can see why they're doing it. And uh, some people said, well, what about, you know, all the deals with filmmakers? And I said, listen, I'm sure Warner Brothers was smart enough. I said this on the weekend. I said, guys, don't worry. I'm sure Warner Brothers was smart enough to make sure they talked to everybody first and made deals with everybody first and made sure everybody was on board. This was me on the weekend saying this. Don't worry. I'm sure Warner Brothers did everything right to make sure everybody was on board with this before they made the announcement. Turns out they did not. Christopher Nolan immediately came out and ripped them a new one, you know, saying things like all these filmmakers went to bed thinking they were working for the best movie studio. And then they worked, woke up realizing they actually worked for the worst streaming studio. Those are harsh words, but they're nothing compared to the words that just came from Denis Villeneuve. Uh, I'm going to read this at length, guys, because it really is worth it. Denis himself wrote this article for Variety. He wrote this himself, uh, uh, talking about his upcoming movie, Dune, which is supposed to hit theaters, but now it's going to do a day and date with HBO Max. Denis wrote this. I learned in the news that Warner Brothers had decided to release Dune on HBO Max. The director of Dune was not so much as given an email from Warner Brothers. He found out by reading the news Anyway, I learned in the news that Warner Brothers had decided to release Dune on HBO Max at the same time as our theatrical release, using prominent images from our movie to promote their streaming service. With this decision, AT&T has hijacked one of the most respectable and important studios in film history. There is absolutely no love for cinema. This is, talk, this is a guy talking about the studio he's working for. There is absolutely no love for cinema, nor the audience here. It is all about the survival of a telecom mammoth that is currently bearing an astronomical debt of more than $150 billion. Therefore, even though Dune is about cinema and audiences, AT&T is about its own survival and Wall Street. With HBO Max's launch a failure thus far, that's harsh. With HBO Max's launch a failure thus far, AT&T decided to sacrifice Warner Brothers' entire 2021 slate in a desperate attempt to grab the audience's attention. Warner Brothers' sudden reversal from being a legacy home for filmmakers to the, to the new era of complete disregard draws a clear line for me. Filmmaking is a collaboration reliant on the mutual trust of teamwork and Warner Brothers has declared that they are no longer on the same team. Streaming services are a positive and powerful addition to the movie and TV ecosystems, but I want the audience to understand that streaming alone cannot sustain the film industry as we knew it before COVID. Streaming can produce great content, but not movies of Dune's scope and scale. Warner Brothers' decision means Dune will not have a chance to perform financially in order to be viable, and piracy will ultimately triumph. Warner Brothers might just have killed the Dune franchise. Listen to this again from the director of Dune. Warner Brothers may have just killed the Dune franchise. Uh, this one is for the fans. AT&T's John Stanky said... Uh, that the streaming horse left the barn. In truth, the horse left the barn for the slaughterhouse. Public safety comes first. Nobody argues with that, which is why when it became apparent that the winter would bring a second wave of the pandemic, I understood and supported the decision to delay Dune's opening by almost a year. The plan was that Dune would open in theaters on October 2021 when vaccinations will be advanced and hopefully the virus behind us. Science tells us that everything should be back to a new normal by next 
next fall. Dune is by far the best movie I've ever made. That's saying something coming from Denis Villeneuve. Dune is by far the best movie I've ever made. My team and I devoted more than three years of our lives to make it a unique big screen experience that movie images and sounds were meticulously designed to be seen in theaters. I am speaking on my own behalf, though this is key. I stand in solidarity with the 16 other filmmakers who clearly have talked to each other. I stand in solidarity with the 16 other filmmakers who now face the same fate. Please know that I am with you and that together we are strong. The artists are the ones who create movies and series. I strongly believe the future of cinema will be on the big screen, no matter what any Wall Street dilettante says. Since the dawn of time, humans have deeply needed communal storytelling experiences. Cinema on the big screen is more than a business. It is an art form that brings people together, celebrating humanity, enhancing our empathy for one another. It's one of the very last artistic, in-person, collective experiences we share as human beings. He goes on a little bit more, uh, but Rob... To say this was vicious oh. is maybe a bit of an understatement. He went on to call them a lot of names, call their launch of HBO a failure. He says they just don't care about filmmaking. He emphasizes, look, what film fans don't understand, and Rob, this is something you and I have been talking about a lot. Movies, the scope of Dune cannot happen simply on streaming. At least not long term. And Denis Villeneuve says, I nope. want audiences to understand that movies like this cannot happen simply and exclusively on streaming. Now, Rob, when Warner Brothers made the announcement, I was very much, I get it. I don't agree with it. I don't like what they're doing, but I get it. And I'm sure everything's fine because I'm sure they talk to everybody. But now we're finding out they didn't talk to their own production partners in Legendary. They didn't talk to the agency. CAA, the biggest talent agency in Hollywood, wrote a scathing letter, to uh, which we're not going to cover here today, but you guys can go and look it up, to Warner Brothers. Now we're finding out even the filmmakers themselves found out on Twitter or found out by reading the news. Rob, this we talked about the specter. By the way, the DGA has reached out to Warner Brothers to say we need to sit down and talk. Of course, yep. the New York Times alluded to the fact that there is some talk amongst the Directors Guild of America that all the directors may boycott Warner Brothers moving forward. And if the DGA boycotts them, there is a possibility that the Screen Actors Guild, that the Writers Guild could all join in with them. This is ugly. Absolutely ugly. Rob, you read this article written written by himself, Denis Villeneuve, one of the most respected by audiences, by studios, filmmakers in the business today. What was your reaction to what he said? Well, I reached out to somebody who will remain nameless, who is an incredibly successful producer and very business savvy when it comes to this. And I asked him this. Here's what I asked him. With CAA basically drawing a line in the sand, do you think Warner Media will be more transparent with their future plans and will they be making concessions to their talent? As in, will they just pay off things like performance bumps and expect to just pay out a few billion more dollars over 2021 as the cost of doing business? Obviously, AT&T is more interested in their communications infrastructure and their subscribers than the business of Hollywood, but curious to get your insights. Here's what I was, he wrote back. It's been a nutty few days, and it has only been intensifying as the litigators are trying to get hired by the aggrieved parties. I've talked to some people who weren't that pissed off when it was initially announced, just like you said, John. But when they get calls from lawyers telling them what they can do if they were hired as their litigators, people get angrier and angrier. Warner Brothers will either pay out the back ends like they did for Wonder Woman 84 and the Witches, or they will have to backtrack and not do 
this streaming plan. I don't see a middle ground. That Villeneuve essay was brutal, but he is attacking the wrong party. It was Toby Emmerich and Carolyn Blackwood of Warner Brothers who came up with this streaming plan and brought it to AT&T. Toby wow. Emmerich thought... Toby Emmerich thought that if Warner Brothers movies drove more subscriptions to HBO content, they might put him in charge instead of Casey Bloys, who currently outranks him in the streaming content hierarchy. Toby decided that the risk of torching filmmaker relationships was worth the prospects of rising higher in the corporate ranks by looking like the savior of HBO Max. I'm sure Villeneuve will eventually find out, and he is going to feel even more betrayed. As for the contract model, I, I asked him if they would, if uh, HBO Max, because it's AT&T, would adopt a model like phone service, like you'd have a year contract, a two-year right. contract. And his answer was, as for the contract model, I doubt they'll adapt something similar to phone service. The closest thing to a long-term contract a streamer will do is give some sort of discount to prepay for a full year or longer. They would lose too much money on the customers who will join just to churn which is sign up, watch the content they wanted to see, and then cancel. There's still money to be made there. And that was the answer. And I, I, this person I trust implicitly, and the, his business savvy and acumen is beyond reproach. It's just, it's stunning to me. Because, Rob, you, you hear stuff like that. And here's where it comes. What is going on with the heads of Warner Brothers? Like Kevin Sujahara, who Dude. was a very smart shrewd he led warner brothers to a lot of success but then we find out ultimately he has all these scandals behind the scenes and he made the decision to force a quick release of justice league so he could get his bonuses and not let justice league go into the following year now we've got another head of warner brothers saying that he's willing to sacrifice all these films and these relationships just maybe so he can get ahead a little bit more in the corporate rung rob a company like warner brothers who I have been accused of being on Warner Brothers payroll, <laughs> but a company like Warner Brothers that is so Please iconically- get us on that payroll, John. It would be so great. I'm buying a house. I could really use that WB cheddar. Um, it, a, a company like this with the legacy that they have and with the quality, I mean, this is still the company that put out the Dark Knight films. This is still the company that put out Inception. This is still the company whose films have won mo so many Academy Awards. What is going on? How does a company like that make a move like this without even talking to the people involved, not even reaching out to a director like a Denis Villeneuve or all the other ones say, hey, by the way, guys, we're thinking about doing this. Let me hear your thoughts and concerns. And they had to find out from the news. What is going on over there? What's the mentality? Well, I'll tell you, my first job, long-term job in the industry was I worked for the senior vice president of physical production at Warner Brothers. And what was very interesting is our department was actually in charge of actually producing the movies at the studio level. And then you had the other executives that decide what movies get made and the executives that are running, basically running the show in terms of they're the ones meeting with the writers and meeting with the talent. And even as long ago as it was when I worked there, there was an arrogance in that uh, arena because those people don't have to deal with the physical production of movies. They don't know what it's like to be on set every day for 12 hours. And when they do go to set, they show up, they have a meal, they're bored in a few hours and they leave. So, so there's a massive schism between the people that actually make films in Hollywood 
and the people that do the business of Hollywood that move the money around and uh, and they're the people that decide who gets hired to make the movies. It's a total disconnect. And the thing is, unless you get a, a lucrative producing deal, when you leave your studio position, the best of the executives get a producing deal like Lorenzo de Bonaventura, and they become very savvy producers in Hollywood. You know, and or Amy Pascal, who yeah, is Pascal is a great example of that. You know, and 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 that's what that's what happens with the best of them, and then they move into production. But when there's these people are going up the corporate ladder, and they see that that is their future, they will, as my inner industry insider said, they will torch their relationships with filmmakers because they think the filmmakers are gonna they're a dime a dozen. More will come every day, but they. They are the lifers that are going to be running these studios for a long period of time. And what they don't realize is it's a symbiotic or some say parasitic. It's a symbiotic relationship. <laughs> They're in the business of selling the product that they make. And the people that make that product are the filmmakers. But you know what? Every agent, every manager, every studio executive, they all fancy themselves filmmakers. They all think they're filmmakers and they are not. And that's when these decisions happen. And you need to be on the same team together because you know what? A sports team still needs a general manager to succeed, even yeah. though that general manager is not out on the field playing. Look at you ripping out the sports analogies. I'm proud of you. Well done. Hey, guys, listen, we, we, we could talk about this all day, but we do have other things to move on to. Question is, guys, did you have a chance to read this letter, this this article that Denis Villeneuve wrote uh, about Warner Brothers and this whole situation? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, listen, what we normally do now at this part of the show is we take emails that you guys have sent in to set up our main topics, but we're just, we're not going to do that today because there's just so much stuff to talk about. There's so much insane stuff here to talk about. Of course, Rob, yesterday was the big Disney announcement, the big investor day. We was it? knew, yeah, it, it may have flown under your radar. It may have flown under your radar. We knew, some, <laughs> we knew there were going to be some big things announced. None of us were prepared for how much was being announced. It is crazy. And we're going to go, we're not going to be able to cover everything here, guys, not in three hours. So let's start touching on just a couple of things, Rob, that, that uh, let's go through this a little bit. Uh, some of the key highlights that we'll talk about uh, in, in a little bit of depth, but we'll move through these as quick as we can, because there's a lot to cover. The first thing, Rob, that I want to talk about that that kind of jumped out to me was earlier in the presentation, of course, FX now belongs to Disney, and they broadcast the FX content on Hulu. And FX did a magnificent presentation. And two of the highlights coming in, of course, FX is the studio behind, they're the production company behind things like Sons of Anarchy, American Horror Story, I mean, a number of other big things. Well, they announced two new series, Rob. One you're going to be super excited about and one I'm super excited about. One is aliens. They're doing an alien show. Not just are they doing an alien show. It's going to be show run by, by uh, uh, Holly, Noah, uh, Holly. Noah Holly, who did Legion. He's going to be running it. And Ridley Scott is going to be an executive producer on it. And Rob, I knew that one was going to get you excited. The one that got me, I just about jumped out of my chair. If you guys watched my live stream of this yesterday, I nearly jumped out of my chair. Rob, whenever anybody over the last couple of years have asked, John, what book would you like to see made into a movie again? I have always given the same answer. Clavel's Shogun. 
That I mean, they did they did a little mini series way a back little, in the it's day. One of my favorite things ever it's, on television. It's amazing. Richard Chamberlain, John Rice Davies, that that I loved. I loved the mini series. And then when I as soon as I saw the screen and the colors of it, I went, "Are they about to announce Shogun?" And then he said, "Shogun," and I just about jumped out of my chair. Rob, uh, I mean, Dude. for me, I can't talk enough about Shogun. This whole the feudal era and all everything about that story is so magnificent and so fantastic, and I cannot wait for this thing. But Rob, I knew you would be particularly excited about the Aliens one as well, especially with Noah Hawley coming in to do this. That is a big oh. coup for them. FX is becoming a great place for storytellers to go and make their content. Anyway, Rob, what was your reaction to the announcements of Aliens and uh, Shogun? Well. You know, Shogun came out in 1980, and it's still one of my favorite things ever broadcast on television. I have the Blu-ray of the miniseries. It's amazing. As you can see, I have my seven samurai figures, my Toshiro Mifune as Yojimbo as well, two, two Toshiro Mifune figures. I can't wait to see this. And also, you know, Noah Hawley was developing a Star Trek movie at, at Paramount, but he was denied. So, hey, you know what? Why not go over to the Mouse House and get some sweet, sweet cheddar to work with Ridley Scott and do an alien show? I mean, that's the way it is done. And I, you know, both of these announcements are things. Do I? It's been 40 years. I, I don't have a problem with somebody remaking Clavel's novel. It's going to be hard to beat the original miniseries. But, John, this is just the beginning of I mean I think that I think that I I, I lost half my weight in uh, sweat as I heard about <laughs> these announcements because I was so excited I it was I, you know people might be cynical because yes this is a corporate money making enterprise I get it but you know what the job is to entertain me and if they're going to entertain me in such a spectacular way I'm there man. I and, am there. And don't forget, too, before he was almost going to do that Star Trek thing, he was tapped to do a standalone Doctor Doom. Remember yep. that? Until the yep. whole Disney Fox takeover, takeover thing all sort of happened. So this is exciting news. Question is for you guys. What did you think about the FX presentation part of it? I thought that was one of the most overlooked part of that thing. Shogun, Aliens. This is crazy. What do you guys think about it? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, let's talk about another little thing that they announced yesterday. We're, we're going to jump all over the place with this stuff here, guys. But one of the surprise announcements to me, although we heard some whispers about this about six months ago, quite frankly, I didn't, I didn't think any of us really paid a lot of attention to it. But one of the things they announced during their Star Wars segment was that Justin Simeons, who was, by the way, used to be a PR guy at one of the studios, I believe it was Paramount that Justin used to work at. I used to have to work with him when he was doing PR at Paramount. And then he went on to become a filmmaker with Dear White People. Justin Simeons is doing a limited series of Lando. Now, they didn't specifically come out and say that Childish Gambino was going to come back and play the role. But I have, I got to assume he is going to, at this point, we had also heard some whispers a while ago that he was looking at coming back to the role. We just didn't know what kind of capacity. Um, Rob, I really never thought that star Wars would do. I definitely didn't believe that they were going to do anything about like solo, another solo series or another solo movie that didn't work. The idea of taking Lando who even a lot of people who didn't like the star Wars solo movie, a lot of them still liked Donald Glover as Lando. He did a really good job in it. I thought Alden Ehrenreich also did a very good job playing a Han Solo character, but 
Uh, this is very interesting to me. Rob, what did you think about when you heard that they announced that they're going to do a Lando limited series? What did you think about it? It's a sequel to Solo. I mean, that was the first thing that struck me. I'm like, how awesome is that? And if you think Alden Enreich is not going to show up in that show, you're out of your mind. And I think that it's, <laughs> you know, there have been talks. Even Alden Enreich says, don't don't count things out. Ron Howard has said things I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, the the Howard family is going to dominate the streaming Star Wars era, I think, because you think they're not going to have him come back and do an episode? I, would, I wouldn't be surprised if you have Bryce Dallas Howard and her dad co-directing, you know, I mean, switching <laughs> off episodes. I, I love this idea, John. I hope they adapt the uh, Lando novels like Lando Calrissian and the Flame Wind of Ocean or Lando Calrissian <laughs> and the Mind Harp of Sharu. I love those books when I was a kid. It will be interesting to see, um, you know, how much they draw from Legends material or and a lot kind of stuff, yeah. and 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 how where in the timeline this is going to take place. Will this happen while he and Han still had an ongoing relationship? Will it be earlier? Will it be later? Who knows? They didn't give a lot of details. Also, the liberation of the sexual liberation of robots. I think yes, that should be that's an important thing that they should I be mean, focusing on on Disney so, Plus, the so sexual liberation for robots. of robots. Guys, Freud, question Freud, is, Freud. you heard this news about a Lando series. I think it's one of the more interesting ones. I'm not going to lie and say I, I jumped out of my chair super excited about it, but I think this is a really interesting one. What did you guys think? Which way do you think they're going to go with it? Jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys. With that down, let's move on to another Star Wars-related announcement that was made. Rob, the night before, uh, I, I had been told a little something. So the night before uh, the Disney event, I hopped on Twitter, for those of you who follow me on Twitter, and I wrote, expect an announcement tomorrow rhyming with the words Makoka Slamo. And to which I guess it was a bad rhyme because a lot of people had no idea what I was talking about, but some people picked up on it. And really, to no, to nobody's surprise, we we knew this was coming. They announced an Ahsoka Tano uh, series. Listen, the moment you know, remember a year ago, Bob Iger, Big Papa Iger, said we are going to do spinoffs. This was a year ago. He said we are going to do spinoffs from this Mandalorian show. We're going to do that. Fast forward six months when word came out that the goddess, Rosario Dawson, was going to be playing Ahsoka Tano in, Mandal in Mandalorian. It really, after that, really came as no surprise to anybody that they would be doing this. Now, everybody who watches my show knows I am not a fan of the Ahsoka Tano character, right? Everybody knows that. I'm not a fan. I mean, they did some things with her that I did appreciate, a bunch of things that they did with the character that I did not appreciate. But overall, safe to say, I am not what you would call a fan of this particular character. That said, even I, what the hell's going on, Rob? Even I like the way they portrayed Ahsoka Tano in that Mandalorian show with, with the way Rosario Dawson portrayed her. Even I went... I mean, what is it Bill Murray says in Ghostbusters? Cats and dogs living together. What I mean, even Campia like that damn Ahsoka Tano portrayal, uh, portrayal in the show uh, with the way they, they had um, Rosario Dawson playing her. And so with that, I just I heard the announcement. If you had told me, Rob, a number of months ago that they're going to announce an Ahsoka Tano series and you are actually going to be looking forward to it, Campia, I would have said you're out of your damn mind. You're out of your damn mind. I'm looking forward to it. 
I'm looking forward to it. The way I saw, the way I've seen Dave Filoni mature his maturation as a director and how to really handle characters with a little bit more subtlety what john favreau has done in this universe and by the way soka tano is going to be one of the shows that is going to be under john favreau so that says a lot even i gotta say rob that i'm looking forward to this show and it's going to happen in the same time as the mandalorian so ahsoka tano we'll talk in a second about um Rangers of the New Republic in a second, but Ahsoka Tano, Rangers of the New Republic, and Mandalorian are all going to be happening at the same time. And so you know you're going to see some crossover. It is going to be an MCU-styled crossover universe thing. Uh, it was absolutely no surprise that they announced it. And I'll tell you what, even somebody as jagged on the Ahsoka Tano character as me, even I'm going, yeah, this sounds pretty good, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Rob, what do you think about the announcement? Well, first of all, I think you were just prejudiced against colorful animated characters. And once you <laughs> saw her translated into live action, I, I think uh, you became more enlightened. And you realized, <laughs> oh, this could really work. And I got to tell you, there was a little bit of me in that too because I kind of thought that her character design was a bit over the top. Maybe it was because of all the different colors on her head, but it looked to me like – I I couldn't see how she could exist in the universe, but seeing Rosario Dawson play her and how it was portrayed, I'm like, oh, I, I'm in, you know? And even I, I mean, I didn't have the problem with the character that you did, but I, I, I thought, are they going to be able to translate that? I was really curious to see how she would be depicted in The Mandalorian. And once you saw that, I was like, oh, that's badass. And I'm, I'm glad. I, I love the fact that she debuts in live action and a little over a week later, we're getting notice that she's going to have be in a live action show. And I'm dude, I'm excited. Like uh, the more the Mandalorian goes along, the more I get excited about this Favreau shared environment and Cara Dune. If what you say is true, if I thought Bill Bird did a great job, acquitted himself from the last episode he was in, which I wasn't a big fan of. I thought he was great in this episode. I love Cara Dune. I do. This kind of stuff shows that the thinking going on there, it's pretty amazing. And I am excited. Yeah, and I'm going to let everybody know, like normally on Fridays, we will talk about Mandalorian. We just have too much stuff to talk about here today. But today at 4 p.m., Ann and I will be doing our weekly uh, Mandalorian open spoiler discussion about what was it called? The Believer. We will be doing our open spoiler discussion on this week's episode of Mandalorian. Once again, that's going to be at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time today. Come on back to the channel when Ann and I do that. But yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. With that being said, let's move on to the other show that they announced in conjunction with Ahsoka Tano, shall we? And that other show that they said that they gave no details of other than the fact that it will be happening at the same time as Mandalorian and as Ahsoka Tano is a show that they brought out called Rangers of the New Republic, which is First of all, to me, a very cool sounding name. I, I like the idea of the name. Now, I have a theory. They gave no details about it other than the fact that it happens at the same time. I do have a theory, though. I believe this is going to be a special A-team kind of strike force that is going to that is going to have Cara Dune, is going to have Fennec, Ming-Na Wen, and might even involve Boba Fett. Because right, Boba Fett, at the end of the day, he's not a hero. He's not a villain. He's a guy with his own code who's for hire. That, that's what he is. 
and maybe he gets into into Cara Dune's debt or something like that. I don't know. Again, I don't know any of this. I'm simply speculating. But considering Iger said we're going to have several spinoff series, we know one's Ahsoka, and we know this Rangers of the New Republic, we know it's all going to tie into Mandalorian. I mean, they could bring in a bunch of new characters, which would be great, but I have a feeling they're going to go Cara Dune and Fennec, uh, maybe Boba Fett, maybe not, but and maybe even Bill Burr. After that's nice, and maybe they even go and pick up back back up Bill Burr to be a part of their ragtag kind of crew. I don't know. Maybe it'll be something. Maybe Mr. Kim will be in it. Maybe he won't. Rob, you heard them announce Rangers of the New Republic. It will be also under Favreau. It's going to be connected into the other two shows. What do you think they might do with this show? Well, I think you're exactly right. I mean, I have to tell you, there was a shot in in the episode of The Mandalorian today where you saw Car Dune standing next to Fennec. And they're both had their guns drawn. And I'm like, the first thing that I sh- thought to myself, I'm like, I, I want to see lethal weapon with these two ladies in space. <laughs> you know, I want to see whether they're Riggs and Murtaugh. I don't care. I just want to see an ass kicking. You know, a lot of people took Kathleen Kennedy to task. The future is female. The, the, the forest is female or whatever, even though they didn't make those shirts. Those are Nike shirts. But I'm like, you know, I think what they're doing with the Star Wars franchise shows a far-reaching and and very holistic approach to the universe. And they're giving everybody a little something. I think everybody can find something unique in this. And yes, is it crassly exploiting the Star Wars brand? Yes, it is. But that's why Disney bought it in the first place. But if we can have as much fun with these shows as we're having with The Mandalorian, and if they're bringing the kind of creative teams and they are to these shows i mean you have filoni you have favreau controlling these three shows in the same era bruh i'm excited i think that this shows the kind of creativity that we need with these franchises and favreau being a veteran of marvel if he has a problem he can call up kevin feige and be like hey man how do i handle this i think all we want john is good entertainment and if that's what we're gonna get Finally, with Star Wars, when now Star Wars has paid for itself, so the the pressure of, oh, we spent $4 billion, how are we going to get our money back? Now that that's gone, I think that they're going to be freer to make more interesting creative choices and do things that we might not expect. And I think making a live-action Ahsoka Tano and doing this show uh, together with The Mandalorian proves that. Here's an interesting thought. Uh, and tell me what you think about this. I have a, I have a theory of what we're going to see moving forward here. I think, listen, I've said this a million times in the show. I will say it one more time. Kathleen Kennedy is simply, there's no debate. If you try to argue this, you simply don't know what you're talking about. Kathleen Kennedy is one of the greatest producers in Hollywood history. Uh, Steven Spielberg calls her the single greatest producer in Hollywood yep. history. And I'm a big fan of Kathleen Kennedy. I am on that level. But you know I have had my issues. I, I, I do not think just because she is one of the greatest producers in Hollywood history, that does not necessarily mean she makes a great executive of running a studio. I am. It is well documented what my issues have been with Kathleen Kennedy as an executive, her inability to be on the same page with directors, the inability to lay out a proper gra- ground game plan for how movies are going to progress instead of going on a film-by-film basis and playing it all willy-nilly. I, I just think she's a great producer, and this wasn't the right job for her. I'm still a fan. But this wasn't the right job for her. That said, I have felt for a while, Rob, you know, I've said that I believe before 2022, she will step down. I've said that before. 
I stick by that. And yesterday's presentation just drove that even more home for me. Because if you're talking about somebody like Kathleen Kennedy, if she has had a rough road, if she wants to go out on something resembling a high note, then going out sometime in the next 12 months is probably going to be the right time for that. That was that, To me, that was almost like a victory lap for her yesterday. She got to stand on stage and announce Hayden Christensen. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but we're going to, she got to announce Hayden Christensen's coming back for an Obi-Wan series. She's talked about this acolyte Sith focus thing, which we will also talk about in a minute. She got to announce the launching of an Ahsoka Tano and this, and this Rebels uh, thing. She got to announce Patty Jenkins directing a rogue squadron movie, which again, we will talk about in a little bit. We'll get to that in a second. But to me, that for her is to say, this is now my legacy. I've set all these things up that the fans are going to get excited about. The fans are looking forward to even the fans who might feel a little bit disenfranchised over the last couple of years. And I think on that note, she's now going to spend the next six to 12 months making sure all these things get up and running. And then I believe she is going to step away and I believe John Favreau is going to step in and be that new executive. So uh, I, I don't know. What do you think about my theory? Do you think that's going to happen? Or do you think this is just the, I, the, the start of a new era of Kathleen Kennedy running Lucasfilm? I, I would offer an alternative theory to this. John Favreau is a creative through and through. He doesn't want to be an executive. Uh, him and Filoni have been given the, – they got something better. They've, they've got three shows that they're controlling now that they get to go play in and direct. and to, I mean, they're creating content. That's what they want to do. John Favreau does not want to be a studio executive. I think Kathleen Kennedy has gone through the crucible of fire that has forged her and given her even more resolve. As a fan of hers, she tried to do what people forget is hiring Lord Miller, you know, going out and finding the director of, of you know, Gareth Edwards going out and getting pe- people that were young, canny directors, they let her down. And she tried. And she was facing enormous pressure from uh, on Hive with Disney to perform because no one, I don't think anyone in the history of entertainment was put into a pressure cooker situation like Kathleen Kennedy was. And that, she made it through. She's like Madonna making it through the wilderness. She made it through. And so <laughs> she 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 now is in a position where all of these things she this this is beyond being a mic drop. This is solidifying a power base and these shows are wildly successful. She's had a hand in making sure these things are greenlit. You know, this was not Bob Chapek or Bob Iger. This was Kathleen Kennedy going through, you know, she 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 flew through the Death Star trenches and fired that proton torpedo and the Death Star exploded. And now she's in a position where, come at me, bro. You think I'm not doing a good job? Because um, remember, it's a very different thing for us on the outside to look at these decisions as opposed to being on the inside and dealing with corporate politics and at the same time trying to make manage creatives. You know, we talked earlier about corporate executives, studio executives, and filmmakers, Kathleen Kennedy is both. She's poised on that event horizon, and she knows she'd rather be making films, but she took the job as president of Lucasfilm, and she knew it wasn't going to be easy. She basically went through her World War II. She's Winston Churchill, and she's come out of it, and she's going to be prime minister for a while. (laughs) 
See, I, I got to disagree, especially about uh, about Favreau. I got because I think there was a there was a point in time where I also thought that Favreau wants to be behind a camera, not behind a desk. There there was a time that I felt that where that began to change for me was in the Disney Plus Mandalorian season one documentary. When we watched for six episodes of John Favreau, who really was he was he was in the position of an executive. And I would say he's very much poised in the model of a Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige is a guy who considers himself a creative, but he's yep. also the president. He's also the guy who oversees everything. And when you saw John Favreau delegating episodes to different directors and being there to support the directors and the storytellers and all that kind of stuff, then you heard how he, you know, transferred that experiences with Lion King into this. And to me, and now you look at, he's now going to be overseeing Mandalorian, uh, uh, Rangers of the New Republic, Ahsoka Tano. To me, he is transforming before our eyes into Lucasfilm's version of Kevin Feige. So I really believe he thinks, like Feige, who he worked with, that he can be both a creative and an executive. And, and in many ways, once he's got all three of these, what do they say in, uh, in Pirates of the Caribbean? When you're in command of one ship, you're a captain. When you're command of two, you're an admiral. And I think John Favreau has realized he can be an admiral. He can be an admiral. And so I know you make a lot of good points, though, Rob. Like well, this well, thing felt like a, 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 a winning stroke to me. It felt like a perfect way to go out. It'll be interesting to see how this works out. See, but here's the thing. Here's the difference. Neither Kevin Feige or, or John Favreau want to be Bob Chapek or Bob Iger. True. True. They, you know, they they're they're executives in the sense that their creative instincts, they might be in charge of their particular things, but they're still creatives. You know, they're still they don't have to deal with if they don't want to go to a corporate shareholder meeting and talk to investors, they don't have to. Even at the top of their game, they're still in charge. They're still in charge as creatives are in charge. And to to move over and be that person that deals with corporate it's it's they don't they'll never have to do that and they'll never have to do that as long as they're successful and i think john favreau is like you know what i, I could have my corporate parachute and all that but i don't need it i'm going to be put down in cinema history and in star wars history and i get to be a filmmaker and if i want to say hey i want to write and direct a star wars movie i can because no one's going to say no you know and he's controlling he's also building an army of loyalists so a creative army of loyalists that he'll be able to place wherever he wants. And in a way, he'll have more power than if he was just an executive sitting in the executive offices because he can do the real moves. He can do the fun stuff. He can be on set just like Kevin Feige. And you know what? Feige, to give him credit, he'll show up at this investors meeting and he'll run that Marvel presentation like a pro. That guy, he is – I can't tell you how much I admire that guy. But then he can go back – on set and be on Spider-Man and talk to Tobey Maguire and talk to the people that he didn't get to work with, you know? But that's why exactly, I think Kevin Feige, I really do feel like Kevin Feige and John Favreau are cut from the same cloth. I really do. I, I think I think Favreau looks at Feige and says, I can be that. I can, and by the way, also look at Pixar. Was it Peter Doctor, who's now the head of Pixar? He gets to run that company. He gets to be the head of Pixar and he still jumps in and will direct his own film if he wants well, to. Well, yeah, but that's And I, but that's I think that could be Favreau's model, don't you think? Don't you think Favreau but, can do that as well? But they'll never see those guys are still creatives. Even though yes, they're they're the heads of companies, but they don't have to deal with the money. 
and they don't well, have if to they don't have to why would why if if if, if kevin feige is the head of marvel doesn't gets to do certain things and doesn't have to do other. Why would it be different for Favreau being the head of that other division of Lucasfilm? Well, because I, I think in Favreau's case, you know, Kevin Feige was never a writer director. John Favreau is a writer director. He's an artist through and through, and he'll always be that. And anything that's going to curtail, like he's at the cutting edge of technology. He was with Jungle Book and Lion King. Now he is with Stagecraft. He's changing the industry the same way that James Cameron is changing the industry. And I don't think either. And James Cameron, you know, basically was head of Lightstorm, but he still had his he he had uh, his other lieutenants or major domos. And and Kevin Feige has Luis Desposito and and Glor- uh, Victoria Alonso, who are basically. They're the business side, and Feige's the creative side, and he gets to be out front. And I think Favreau is never going to give up his creative uh, juice just to run a company. And I don't think he would have to. That's the difference between us and that. But anyway, guys, question is, what do you think about all of this? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, we got to keep moving here. We still have so much to do. Sticking on the issue of Star Wars. Another Star Wars announcement that was made yesterday. Look, we found out some time ago that the showrunner for Russian Dolls, Rob, I know you really like that, you know, that Russian Dolls uh, property. Uh, the direct, the showrunner and director of that, Leslie Headland, a little while ago was announced that she was going to be directing and running a new Star Wars series that was going to focus on a female lead and was going to be involved in things that Star Wars had never really done before. It left a lot of questions for what that was going to be. Well, yesterday we found out what it's going to be. It's going to be a show they're calling The Acolyte, which sounds to me like it's amazing. The whole idea that it happens near the end of the High Republic era. So we're going to go into a completely new time frame than we've ever visited in Star Wars before. And one of the things Kathleen Kennedy said is that it's really going to be looking at dark side Dark side. And hence, it's not the show's not called The Padawan. It's called The Acolyte with a little bit of what looks like red and lo- what looks like a lightsaber cut going through the thing. I'll tell you what, Rob, there is nothing about this that, that does not sound exciting to me. And now they give us very, very little information. But just the fact that, like I've always wanted for a long time, I've wanted a new time period for Star Wars to be explored. It's going to do that. And the fact that they're going to do it, maybe telling it from a pro- or an antagonist's point of view, Rob, to me, sounds very enticing. And of course, Hedlund directing it, uh, she's she's already shown she's got the chops. Rob, you heard about the Acolyte. What was your reaction to it when you heard about it? Well, again, I, I mean, we've only seen the Star Wars universe from a very limited perspective. And one of the creators of Russian Doll doing a, a Star Wars show, I loved Russian Doll. And I, I think this idea is fantastic. And again, it's exactly what Star Wars needs to move forward to go in there and explore all like, we, you know, there was going to be that live action underworld series and all of these things that that I think I, I, I'm really excited to see. You know, I, I, I think it's going to be great because if you don't like one Star Wars show, you've got a Star Wars show that's going to be totally different. And I'm I'm very excited about this news. Yeah, I love I love what you just said too. It's showing that they're also kind of diversifying. You don't like this type of Star Wars show? We got another kind of Star Wars show for you. And and I again, I think they got the right person in charge. I love the era. I love the idea of the character they're going to have. So I, again, and this is on well, very very little information. You know, I want to say something too that I think is really really important. Uh, 
And again, it's talking about franchise management. When you, I was watching this announcement yesterday for all of these shows, both Marvel and Star Wars. I was struck by the diversity, not just I'm ta- not talking about race or color, diversity of creators. They're taking creators from across the spectrum of entertainment now who have varying degrees, varying backgrounds, very different kinds of projects that they've previously been involved with. And they're all coming under the Star Wars umbrella. And it couldn't I I couldn't help but think, gosh, if only Star Trek were to do something like this, maybe we would get what I would think could be much more interesting programming. And I think that was a real smart move, again, on Kathleen Kennedy's part to go after these very different kinds of creators to do very different kinds of shows. It shows that this franchise will endure. Guys, question is, what did you think about this announcement of the Acolyte? I got very excited for it. Maybe you said, "Ah, okay, we'll just wait until we find out more, which would be understandable. What are you thinking about it right now? Jump on down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts okay guys we're gonna move away from star wars for just a second and and talk about this you know rob during the the presentation yesterday by disney there were about 20 or 30 things said and done that i totally expected that i totally expected some things i predicted all that kind of stuff but there were a couple of very highlight things that did catch me by surprise that was like quite frankly i was completely wrong about thinking about what they would do Kevin Feige decided to take the time to specifically address the issue of Chadwick Boseman and Black Panther. And in that presentation, he just very shortly but succinctly said, we have made the decision that we are not going to recast, that we are no longer going to use the T'Challa character. T'Challa is no longer Black Panther. And, you know, Rob, this is to me the one mistake I think they made, but their heart's in the right place. And I understand, you know, a little while ago, Rob, as we were discussing about what we thought they would do with the T'Challa character, whether they would decide to retire the character in honor of Chadwick Boseman, or whether they would bring in another actor to pick up the baton for Chadwick Boseman and carry on in his name. I said, I feel the right thing to do both from a business point of view, from a story point of view, for the importance of the character point of view, I thought the right thing to do and the smart thing to do was to recast, have another actor pick up that baton for Chadwick and carry on. But I also said, I know whatever Kevin Feige decides, it'll be from the best place. You know, it'll be for, they'll make their decisions based on what they think honors Chadwick Boseman and what they think is the right thing to do. Even whether they do what I think is the smart thing or not, I know their motivation is going to be right. I do believe they made a mistake. I think it is a mistake. I think this character is too important, not Black Panther, but T'Challa. I think T'Challa is too important of a character for them to make this move. But again, I have no issues with it. I understand that it's coming from a place of wanting to honor this this person who worked with them to help bring the character. I find it funny that Stan Lee died and they didn't think about retiring the Black Panther character. And Stan Lee is more important to the Black Panther character than, than even Shadow Bozeman was. But but I get it. I do. I get it. I think it was a mistake, but I understand it and I have no problem with it. But I'll tell you, Rob, uh, it, it, it absolutely surprised me. I Because leading up to the event, 
Not only was I convinced that it was the right thing to do to recast the role, I was becoming more and more convinced that it's what they would do, even though I always knew it was a possibility they wouldn't, but I became more and more convinced it was something that we do. So I got to admit, that was one of the things from yesterday that really, really surprised me. So bottom line is, I think it's a mistake, but I'm not upset about it because I understand it's coming from a good place. Rob, you heard Feige make this announcement. What was your reaction to it? Well, you know that I was saying that they, I had said early on, they probably maybe wouldn't recast Black Panther and they would do something different and maybe eventually have somebody else take over the role. I think it's the right thing to do. You know why? Because I think incorporating, I keep going back to when Captain Marvel died, the original Captain Marvel, not Marvel, not, not uh, Carol Danvers. And in the comics, he got basically got cancer and died. And I remember how affecting that was. And I think they're going to incorporate uh, Chad Bozeman's passing in that storyline, and it'll make it poignant. And again, it will add more resonance and weight to a franchise that already means – well, a sub-franchise that already means so much to so many people. And I, I think that he will be honored, and I think it's something that I, I kind of like. And then also – the story possibilities, the power vacuum left in Wakanda, it'll give us a really interesting way to explore the different factions with Okoye and M'Baku and Shiri and and who knows who else is going to show up in Wakanda. Maybe, maybe um, Namor. You know, Namor flooded Wakanda once. What if Namor shows up and says, hey, I'm taking over? You know, something and they're like, oh, no, you're not. And there's the war with the Atlanteans or something. That could be badass. Right. And by the way, I should point this out. I have some people in the live chat saying, what does Stan Lee have to do with Black Panther? Stan Lee created Black Panther. Stan Lee and Jack <laughs> Kirby created the Black Panther character. It is their creation. That's what Stan Lee, a lot of people just suddenly say, wait a minute, what does Stan Lee have to do with Black Panther? He created him. He is the creator of Black Panther. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, there's, it opens up a lot of possibilities of where they could go moving forward. And, and there are some exciting things you can do. Look, at the end of the day, the bottom line is I trust Kevin Feige. I think Kevin Feige's earned our, our trust, the benefit of the doubt when it comes to making these decisions. And uh, he's going to do some good with it. I, I still personally feel they should have to honor Chadwick Boseman and to honor the the importance of the T'Challa character. I thought they should have gotten enough, the appropriate actor to come in and pick up that baton for Chadwick. But uh, they decided to go in a different way, and I'm sure they're going to find a way to make it work. So question is, guys, what did you think about that decision? I, I, again, I, it was one of the ones that really did surprise me, but I know it's coming from a good place. How did you feel about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move into a little bit of other MCU stuff here to talk about, shall we? You know, Rob, when... Disney took over Fox and the announcement came out in that they were going to take over Fox. A lot of people, understandably so, kind of initially thought in the next six months, we're going to get X-Men movies and we're going to get Fantastic Four movies. And Kevin Feige came out and said, listen, guys, I've got a roadmap for five years. Now, this is a few years ago already. They said, I've got a roadmap already for the next five years. And sure enough, right up until yesterday, no word really about X-Men or Fantastic Four or anything about that. But finally, it happened. Kevin Feige actually said to the audience, guys, the first family of Marvel is coming home. Fantastic Four. They gave no information on it. 
I know a lot of people were hoping to hear John Krasinski and Emily Blunt's name be mentioned. That didn't happen, whether it will in the future, who knows or not. And by the way, this is going to be a project that is probably, we're probably not seeing this in theaters until minimum 2023. Like I'm getting, they did, since they don't even have any information about it, no writers, no directors, no anything, but they said, but so 2023, so it's going to, Kevin Feige, what he said right off the bat, it's going to be at least five years. Looks like he was right. But Rob, they at least came out and said it. They didn't say X-Men which was interesting, but they did want to drop in there that guys, yes, rest assured, we've got our eyes on Fantastic Four. Rob, I know this was something you've been waiting for, that you've been looking forward to. Number one, what was your reaction to seeing Kevin Feige on camera acknowledging they are in the development of a Fantastic Four movie? And what are your expectations of, of where something like this, and how important is this to not just Fantastic Four, but to Marvel as a whole? Well, you know, the Fantastic Four is the first family of Marvel, and they're, they're cornerstone characters that I don't think have ever been very well served. There's been, what, four Fantastic Four movies, if you go back to Corman's, and they Ugh. haven't quite got them right. And I think now with obviously Spider-Man has been so deftly handled. And I think if you do get Emily Blunt, John Krasinski, uh, I think that casting is so winning. And I think now with the we, with the quantum realm and, and everything and they haven't touched on Galactus and th they've got Kang the Conqueror being introduced in the next Ant-Man movie. And I, I, I just think the time is now. And the place is the MCU as it exists to realize these characters for the first time on screen the way they're supposed to be realized. And I've never had more confidence in in something as I do with the introduction of the Fantastic Four into the MCU. And I think it's going to be, well, fantastic. And, you know, I, I think for good reason, nobody ever gave us any information. A lot of us just kind of speculate, you know, who would be a great director for this is Peyton Reed who was doing Ant-Man. And then when they said Kang was going to be coming in to uh, Ant-Man 2, then that really kind of heightened that. But instead, for a director, they've made a choice I wasn't expecting, but you know what? A choice that I think is going to work. They went with John Watt, the, uh, the director of yeah. Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, which I thought, you know, again, if you had asked me to give you five names of who I think they're going to announce to direct Fantastic Four, his wouldn't have been one of the names that I would have picked. But then once they said his name, I'm like, you know what? When you think about the structure and the DNA and the texture of those Spider-Man movies, that dude who did that, which most people, it's crazy how successful those two movies have been. And most people don't even know who directed either of them. But when I thought about it after they said his name, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I think this can work. Rob, what do you think about uh, what do you think about the director choice for this? I think it's I think it's terrific. I mean, it's you know what? It's the it's the character interaction and the vibe that he brought to Spider-Man, and the the fact that there it's the closest thing to a family franchise that we've seen really in the Marvel universe. That and Ant-Man, and I think that um, you know if you're not going to go with Peyton Reed. Payne Reed's busy. He's doing quantum mania or whatever it's called. Yeah, multiverse <laughs> and, uh, mania or something like and, that. Yeah. And uh, I think that um, I, I, I'm excited. I, I think absolutely it's the way to go. I think that he's got the right tone. I think it's going to work. Yeah, I agree. So question is, guys, 
What do you think about this announcement of Fantastic Four? Maybe you're just like over Fantastic Four because of, you know, haven't really loved all the big screen adaptations we've had so far. Maybe that has just made you even more excited to see it in the hands of Kevin Feige and the folks at Marvel. What do you think about the director choice? Jump on down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, let's move on to the next topic here. Another thing announced that got a lot of people very excited was, of course, the confirmation and and the starting date and all that kind of stuff of the Star Wars, getting back to Star Wars now, Obi-Wan series. We got a little bit of information. I love the time frame they're doing it at 10 years after the events of Revenge of the Sith. So I, I thought they might do it just shortly after, but they're going 10 full years after the events of Revenge of the Sith. But the part of this, you know, a lot of people are expecting this. They know it's going to start. I believe they said they're going to start shooting in March. I think that's when they said they're going to start shooting. The part that got a lot of people excited, though, was when they announced that Hayden Christensen was going to be coming back to play the role of Anakin. Now, a number of people have speculated this for a long time. We've had discussions for the last year about whether or not we could see Hayden Christian come back. I thought they shouldn't because it's a violation of canon. They cl- In the original Star Wars movie, they made it clear Obi-Wan and Vader hadn't seen each other since that battle on Mustafar. That was the implied message of that movie. Now, if you want to play fast and loose with semantics, you can come up with a way that it works to have Anakin in there. And I thought that was a violation of canon. But they knew bringing back Hayden Christensen, good Canadian kid, by the way, would make the fans really excited. And right now, that seems to be the frame of mind that Kathleen Kennedy is in. She wants to make the fans excited. And I, you can't blame her. It's a good idea. And I remember a couple of years ago, Rob, I was at Star Wars Celebration in that hall when they brought out Hayden Christensen. And I remember thinking, huh, I mean, we never thought we'd see that again. And, and Hayden was back. I was like, I wonder if somehow, some way they could do something with Hayden again in the future. And sure enough, here he is. He's back. Uh, to what level or what degree, we don't know. Ewan McGregor was quoted as saying one of the best things for him about doing Obi-Wan was the fact that he's going to get to reunite with Hayden Christensen. They had a very good relationship uh, working on that movie uh, and all that sorts of stuff. So it's it's a big deal, Rob. And a lot of people got very, very buzzed by this. Rob, what did you think about what we heard about Obi-Wan, the time frame of it? <clears throat> Deborah Chow, of course, who directed two of the best episodes of Mandalorian in season one. She's going to be directing the whole series. Uh, the time frame, the return of Hayden Christensen. What did you think about this? Well, first of all, everything about this I've been excited about. I thought they should have led this Star Wars story idea, or at least uh, after Rogue One, they should have done uh, the Obi-Wan Kenobi movie because uh, having Ewan McGregor come back as Obi-Wan gives the whole the whole, the whole thing gravitas and, and legitimacy. I think that's why... You know, it's been really disappointing to see fans make fun of Tamura Morrison, like body shaming him. I'm like, give me a break. You know, it's so cool that they're bringing these characters, they're bringing these actors back and and giving the the fans this kind of continuity. Again, if only Star Trek would do this kind of thing. But the um, the idea that they're going to do this, I think it's what it means is. I think we're going to see flashbacks to Anakin and um, Obi-Wan's relationship because why would you just have Anakin Skywalker burnt to a crisp and what, you'd only see him, he'd take off the Vader helmet and you'd see his face? 
I mean, I think the fact that they he's do it in Mandalorian. Be, well, I mean, no, I know, but I, what I what I I think we're going to see more of them. I think we're going to see more of their relationship, and I think they're going to fill in things that we didn't see in the prequels. I know it's been 15 years since we had Revenge of the Sith, but I think that we're going to get. I think this Obi Wan series is going to be great. I think it's going to be great. And I think that they're going to go back and and do things that we wish they would have done, showing more of Anakin's downfall and really making the character rich. And they're going to really set these two up. And it was the, the things that Deborah Chow said, there's going to be another fight. And yeah. I want to see Obi-Wan. I want to see Obi-Wan Kenobi and Vader go full on. I mean, not like in Star Wars A New Hope. But full on in the full armor when Vader is totally a dark lord of the Sith and Obi-Wan Kenobi, I, th- I, th- I think what, what ends up happening at the end of whatever goes on between them is what results in Kenobi going, you know what, I'm just going to go into the desert and oversee Luke's growing up. This isn't for me. And I think it's going to be epic. Uh, again, right storyteller, right cast. A little bit of fan service in there. A lot of people very, very excited about Hayden Christensen coming back. You know, it reminds me, Rob, I still remember I got chills because I've never been super excited about the idea of Obi-Wan. I've had people, viewers have kind of talked me into getting more excited about it. But I remember one of the most exciting moments when I was at that last D23 and I was sitting there in the audience and Kathleen Kennedy's on stage and she brings out Hugh McGregor's when they announced the Obi-Wan series at first. And you, they, they did this little playful thing where you McGregor said, Hey, Kathy, Kathy in his, in his accent, she goes, yeah, Ewan. He said, ask me if I'm coming back as Obi-Wan. <laughs> she said, Ewan, are you coming back to play Obi-Wan? And he had the mic and he turned the audience. Yes. And everybody <laughs> exploded in the, it was a, like, even somebody like me who wasn't super excited about it, even I got chills. At that moment, you know, so it's it's going to be exciting to see. Question is, guys, what did you think about this announcement of you and McGregor reteaming up with Hayden Christensen? They are both going to be in this series that will culminate in a big battle between them. I know that got a lot of people excited. Are you one of them? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, more to cover, <laughs> more to cover. And we're going to stick on Star Wars here for just a moment. We're going to stick with Star Wars here. Rob, maybe one of the best announcements, certainly the way they announced they announced it was probably the coolest part of this. All the Star Wars announcements was an iconic for people who know Star Wars and know legends and know all that kind of stuff. The name Rogue Squadron does bring up a, a lot of thoughts and a lot of memories. So just the idea that they're going to do a Rogue Squadron movie that they're saying is going to be Dude. theatrical and we're going to get to that in a second. They're saying it's going to be theatrical. But they went one step beyond and said one of the filmmakers who to me is one of the most filmmakers, most exciting filmmakers in Hollywood today, which is Patty Jenkins. Uh, you know, I'm, I am constantly raving about Patty Jenkins. I love her work. Uh, I just think she's just got such an, an apt ability to, to bring the best out of the actor she's working with and to tell really compelling stories. 
the announcement of her announcing how she's going to do a rogue squadron was one of the coolest movie announcements I have ever seen. It was absolutely fantastic. I know you were buzzing about it too, Rob, but I think this sounds exciting. We didn't get a lot of details. Will it have, you know, what, what time period is it going to happen in? Is Wedge Antilles going to be a part of it? Are we going to get a young Luke Skywalker as a part? I mean, who knows what they're going to do here, but Rob, what was your reaction to this announcement of, of rogue squadron? Well, First of all, I loved uh, Michael Stackpole's Rogue Squadron novels. They were great. Now they've been relegated to the Legends status. But it, it, I remember thinking when I first read those books, I don't know how old they are. They got, what, 25 years old maybe? Uh, I, I was like, God, these would make an awesome movie. And I knew they were never going to do something like that. And I have to tell you, the thing about yesterday, watching the the announcement, if, if you people haven't seen the announcement video, Patty Jenkins, when she's rollerblading like on an Air Force base, you know, on the on the tarmac of the of the uh, of the landing uh, uh, strips. And then she sits in the back of the car and she tells the story of how her father was a fighter pilot in real life and how she grew up around planes and her father lost his life serving her country. And that she has spent her entire life looking for the right story to tell, to honor his memory and honor our great aviators. I was getting all choked up. I'm like, and then when she walks off and puts on that rebel flight helmet, walks off to an X-Wing fighter, I'm like, wow, dude, <laughs> how how can you not be excited about this? And and by the way, I say with the announcements of the last couple of days, uh, I think Patty Jenkins like throwing a little shade. <laughs> like this movie's coming out in theaters, brah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I probably. Just, you know, I just love it. Well, I, I'm all about authorship, John. When when filmmakers really get to get behind the films they've wanted to make their whole lives, and this looks like for Patty Jenkins. Remember, she was like in the wilderness after Monster won an Academy Award. She didn't make a movie for ten years. Now she made two Wonder Woman films. Buck the trend, saying you can't make a you know a Wonder Woman movie; it's not going to be a successful. Well, she proved that wrong, and now she's doing a Star Wars movie. Talk about living the dream. Go Team Jenkins. I'm all about her. I'm all about this movie. I cannot wait. Top Gun in Space. Basically, it's Top Gun in Space, and it sounds amazing, and it's Patty Jenkins. What's not to be excited about? Question here is, guys, what did you think about the Rogue One announcement? I thought it was a magnificent announcement, and you got a storyteller like that doing it. I think this is all great news. Jump down into the comments section below, guys, and let us know your thoughts. All right. Let's step away from Star Wars for just a moment, and let's go over into something, say, Pixar-related. Of course, Pixar made a lot of announcements as well, talking about Luca and a number of other things they have going on. But one of the more interesting things that they talked about was a a property they're going to be doing. They are going to do a Toy Story spinoff called Lightyear. And it's the idea of – and I think it was Peter Doctor who was saying this. is like, look. This isn't the the buzz we know from Toy Story, but it's like that buzz comes from a world, a character who's supposed to be this space ranger fighting the good fight out in the galaxy and all that kind of stuff. And this toy that we use in Toy Story is based on those legends and those stories. Let's make something about those legends and those stories. And they said they're going to do Lightyear, which I think sounds completely 
wonderful. I, I'm excited for it. The surprise of it, though, came from the fact that it's not you're not going to see Tim back as the voice of Buzz because apparently it's supposed to be a slightly younger Buzz. So they kept it in the Disney family and they went and got Chris Evans is going to do the I actually think Chris Evans has a terrific voice. I really do. I do too. And he's going to be the voice of Buzz Lightyear uh, in this new Lightyear property. Rob, you heard about this. What was uh, what was your reaction to it? What did you think? I just the, the <laughs> having the power to think stuff up and make it happen to be able to like call Chris Evans on the phone and say, "Hey, it's Pixar calling." You know, I'm Pete Doctor, whoever. Yeah, we're doing a new uh, Lightyear project. We'd love you to be the voice. <laughs> we would like Captain America to be young Buzz Lightyear. I, I, I mean, I just love that. <laughs> I, I just, I love that, you know, everyone's so cynical about Disney, you know, but there's one thing they really know how to do. It's, and it's entertain people. And what Disney has built is a bunch of creative people that now wield the power because they've been successful to just think stuff up and do it. And that kind of power is what everybody wants in Hollywood. And if you wield it correctly, you uh, you can make things like this happen. And I think this is going to be delightful. I can't wait. Yeah, listen, the the folks at Pixar have never steered us wrong. Uh, no, no car, no cars, pun intended. There never steered us wrong. They have really never steered us wrong. They, they, it stumbled a little bit with the Cars franchise to me, but other than that, not they if you're put an eight-year-old boy. Oh, dude, true. My my nephew is like, every, everything's all about, you know, uh, what, what's it, McQueen, Lightning McQueen? Yeah. Is that his, it's all about the cars things. But I mean, they just are master storytellers. They have, they have the right process. They have the right creatives. They have the right, they do it the right way. And uh, for that reason, if nothing else, for that reason, I think this is a great move. Guys, question is, what do you think about this announcement of, Lightyear coming. I think it sounds like it could be a lot of fun. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, just a couple more things here. I told you that today was going to be packed. I said a little bit earlier that one of the things that truly surprised me, and there's only like two of them that really surprised me coming out of this uh, Disney presentation. One was the fact that I really was expecting them to recast the role of T'Challa because the character is just so important. But the other one was, you guys know, I've said, I don't know that Black Widow is going to go straight to Disney Plus, but I really believe it is because of all the, the things we've talked about earlier. I had kept my fingers crossed that it wouldn't, but I really believe Black Widow was going to be going straight to Disney Plus. Well, they made it official yesterday, sort of. Black Widow is going to keep its theatrical date. It is going to theaters, not theaters and Disney Plus. It is going to theaters. I believe it's May 2nd is their release date for Black Widow. And I'm going to tell you, I was thrilled to hear it, but I was surprised to hear it. I was very, very surprised to hear it. As a side note, we'll get to this in a minute. There were a lot of movies that they announced were going to go exclusively to theaters before eventually winding up. Now, one of the exceptions to that was obviously Ryan, the last dragon, but Ryan, the last dragon was the only film out of all the films they talked about yesterday that was going to do a premium access on Disney plus and in theaters at the same time. It was the only one. And Rob, 
that is not totally surprising because you remember I said recently on this show that the Mulan experiment they did with premium access, like be a Disney Plus subscriber and pay 30 bucks, that was a disaster for them. But as we said on the show just like a month ago and a few weeks ago, that was only one film they did that with. It was too small of a sample size. We expected that they would do it at least one, maybe two more times. And it looks like Ryan the Last Dragon is going to be the next test subject to see if that is something that can work. I suspect it won't work uh, again, but we'll see what happens. More importantly, though, is Black Widow. And this is great news. Uh, Black Widow is when you watch the trailers, again, not a property that I have been most excited about, but the trailers have really won me over quite a bit, and it does look like something that should be a theatrical experience. So I am surprised to hear it's going theatrical, but I love that they're keeping this theatrical, and it could have wider implications, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But Rob, just for now, what do you think about this notion that uh, they're saying, yep, Black Widow's coming, and it's coming in theaters in May? May 2nd, we're doing this. We're doing theaters. Do you have, I'll believe it when I see it kind of mentality? Do you think this is great? Do you think it's a mistake? What do you think about it? Well, obviously, we're still in the midst of a massive pandemic, and the numbers are the highest they've ever been in terms of deaths and infection rate. But there is a, you know, we've got a, a, a knocking Light at the end of the tunnel. There, right there. And, and, and we'll see how that goes. But I appreciate that Disney is committed to a theatrical release on these movies that they're writing it out. And um, I think it shows a commitment to the filmmakers and to their franchises and most importantly to the audiences. So I know I want to see Black Widow in a theater. Uh, I did I did wonder, because I know Francis or uh, Florence Pugh, isn't she supposed to be in Falcon and Winter Soldier? And then she was introduced originally going to be in Black Widow. So I, it's going to be curious to see how it all works together but i have faith they know what they're and doing hawkeye. by the way she's also going to be in hawkeye florence Pugh's also going to be in hawkeye yeah so i think that's um pretty cool uh, i just can't wait i i can't believe it's been so long since we've had a, i mean spider-man will have come out a year and a half ago already oh and my it'll be, gosh it'll be two years before we've seen a uh, marvel movie it, it is kind of crazy and you know what it the may may 2nd seems soon but Really, it's five months away. And look, I, I'm I'm no doctor. I'm hearing more and more the, from the scientists that there's there's a lot of optimism about with the vaccinations and how quickly we could get back to something that resembles whatever normal is going to be from now on. Maybe five months can work. Maybe five months from now can work. Maybe that's not too ambitious. I'm still look. I'll admit I am still a little bit in the position of it sounds too good to be true, and a little bit of I'll yeah. believe it when I see it. But man, if they can do this and actually keep this thing as a theatrical release, that is great news for me as a film fan. It's great news for the movie theaters if they, they can survive this. And it sounds good. Question is, guys, what did you think about the announcement that Black Widow is indeed going to stick in theaters and they're going to come out in May 2nd? Are you super excited about it? Are you a little bit cautious about it like I am? What do you guys think? Jump into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. One last thing I kind of want to address here before we get into our live questions today, and that is a, a bigger picture thing. You know, Rob, we started off today's show talking about the HBO Max and Warner Brothers move, how it has alienated all the creatives in Hollywood 
off of Warner Brothers. The agencies are angry at them. The writers are angry at them. The directors are angry at them. Their production partners are angry at them. And they're getting a whole lot of pushback and all that kind of stuff. At the same time, Disney has their big announcements yesterday, focusing a lot on Disney+. Plus. But even while talking about Disney+, Plus, they rolled out this long list of movies that are meant to be theatrical. Now, a bunch of movies that are going to be for Disney+, Plus, clearly. Sure. But they also specifically, Black Widow being one of them, and as amongst many others, laid out this big laundry list of films that they are intending to keep theatrical. I love this news, but much like Black Widow in and of itself, it's a little bit of a story of I'll believe it when I see it. Now, look, I made this video a couple of weeks ago about why Disney Plus is going all in, why Disney is going all in on Disney Plus. And certainly, Rob, yesterday, a lot of what Bob Chapek and Bob Iger talked about was the re- organizing of the company to be a streaming company first, to be a DTC, a direct-to-consumer company first. I broke down the math about why they would. But I've always thought, and I've always said, that Disney can have the best of both worlds. They can live in a world where they continue to grow, make specific content for Disney+, Plus. Take the movies that they had put in theaters and then put them on Disney Plus, plus have those movies in theaters initially, make billions of dollars there first, and then put them on Disney Plus where people will continue to subscribe to have that library content. But it just seemed to me that Disney, the way they were talking about we're going to be DTC, we're reorganized for our company for this, it sounded like they were going to forego that, and I understood. I didn't like it, but I understood. Hearing them come on stage and even you know Iger himself specifically talking about the theatrical experience and the theater hearing Kevin Feige talking about we're going to keep these movies in theaters hearing Kathleen Kennedy talk about these movies and projects are going to be meant for the theater and for the big screen blah 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 it raises a question I don't know if it gives us answers but it raises a question for me in light of the massive pushback against HBO and and uh, HBO Max in light of the, you know, that info you got sent, you talked about this a little bit earlier today about how one of their options, they only got two options. <laughs> and one of them is backtrack on that whole 2021 thing. Did Disney possibly with this announcement event yesterday, did Disney just save the movie theater industry? Did Disney yesterday just maybe throw that first brick that could build a wall around the theater industry and save it? Like, could that have been hard? Or are we already too far gone? Could Disney be looking at, yes, we can make our billions in theaters and become a direct-to-consumer company and make our bigger millions on streaming, but we can do both? Or do you think we're too far down that road at this point? What was your takeaway from that with all these announcements of these movies staying in theaters? <clears throat> well, I do believe ultimately the future of the world is a direct to consumer experience, cutting out the middleman. And when you're delivering entertainment like this, we've already seen it with, say, computer companies. You know, you don't buy software anymore in a box and get a drive or get a disc. You, you license it and you download the software directly from the company. And I think that that, that is sort of the wave of the future. But the one thing that motion pictures have uh, going for them is the experience of sitting in a movie theater, especially we have premium theaters in LA. So people don't, 
they shut shut up. They don't talk. They're not looking at their phones because everybody poo-poos them. But when you can get that premium experience, whether it's in an IMAX theater or at a Dolby Cinema from AMC or whatever, there's nothing better than that. You know, it's a joyous experience. It's a physically transporting experience. You feel, you actually feel it in your soul when you see a great movie in a big movie theater with big sound and visuals. And when Denis Villeneuve, Denis Villeneuve is pissed, I mean, he's still working on Dune and his own studio betrays him. You know, and he's he's working on that big experience. He knows, dude, when I saw Blade Runner 2049 in the theater, I was one of the only people in the theater, but I saw it at the IMAX theater on Hollywood Boulevard at the Chinese. It was the most senses rattling, like, like my ears were, it was so loud. My teeth were chattering. It was awesome. I loved it. I mean, this is what movies are about, man. And Denis Villeneuve brought that noise literally. And I'm like, I never want to give this experience up. And I think Disney, they're in the business of providing communal experiences with people. They know that whether it's in their theme parks or in movie theaters, that they're, they have a product to sell to people. And it's an experience because those experiences bind people together and make people happy. And going to big movies in movie theaters, especially Disney movies, they leave people smiling, whether it's Pixar, whether it's Star Wars or Marvel. They want people to have that experience. Yeah, I agree. So, again, I think it's going to be interesting over the next couple of months to see what kind of transpires. Because, again, I think the the movie theater chains have to be thrilled with what they heard from the Disney presentation, whether or not it's too little too late or just a symbolic gesture or whether it's I'll believe it when I see it, who knows, but it's at least got to be seen as the first piece of promising news that the theaters have had in a long, long time. What does it ultimately amount to? Don't know. We'll have to wait and see. We'll see how serious Bob Iger is about this stuff. Question is for you guys. What do you think about this? Do you think this is an overture by Disney and, and they want to save the theatrical experience because they know they make a lot of money on it and on streaming? Do you think it's just a kind gesture but really doesn't mean anything? That's totally possible. You're like me. It's a little bit of I'll believe it. Like Black Widow in theaters May 2nd. Great. I hope so. But I'll believe it when I see it. What do you guys think? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with all that stuff down, it's time to go over and start hearing from you guys and what you have to say about all this. Now, in the meantime, we've already hit 1130. It's uh, Rob's got stuff he's got to do and he's got to take off. But before we let you go, Rob, uh, where can people follow you and all of your great adventures online? Well, you can find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, where we have still going uh, the first Intergalactic Imagination Connoisseurs Film Festival, where viewers have sent in their own films. You can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett and find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. And don't forget to watch Movie Trailers, a love <laughs> story, available wherever you download. There it is, Rob. Thanks a lot for being here again, dude. And I will talk to you again later. Have a good one. All right, everybody. That is the great Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. And uh, always make sure you check him out online as well. Okay, guys. 
Let's now we're, we're late into it. We've got a lot of stuff to get to. Uh, so let's start getting into it and start taking your live comments and questions. We're going to start things off here with Russell Amador, who writes, Hey, John, the community has talked some Mortal Kombat promotion into existence as one of the producers posted on social media news tomorrow on the 9th. That is hopefully some movie images or one badass fatality or scorpion get over here. Yeah. So the other day, the producer of Mortal Kombat, everybody's like saying, where's our Mortal Kombat promotion? The producer of Mortal Kombat came out the other day and said on social media, news tomorrow. Well, guess what? No news came. The producer then got back on social media and said, hey, guys, my bad. I thought we were releasing new stuff, but apparently we're not allowed to release any stuff yet. Soon, though, soon. So that's what happened. Yeah, the producer did say we were going to get some Mortal Kombat news, but none of it came. And hopefully soon, the producer says. All right, next up, Campy is the goat rights. I mentioned to you on your live chat that UFC won't give up pay-per-view to go on ESPN+. You correctly replied that 80% are on ESPN+. Yeah, but not the big ones. It's true. Uh, Cinema is like pay-per-view, where you can maximize revenue. Tom Cruise, Nolan, and Spielberg won't be on streaming. Oh, sure they will. Sure they will. Martin Scorsese is on streaming. He did Irishman with Netflix. He's got one coming now for Apple TV Plus. Uh, we've got the biggest movie star in the world. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is in doing, a, he's got Red Notice coming on there, by the way. And he's doing it with who is now factually the second biggest movie star in the world and Ryan Reynolds. They're both doing that thing. So don't think you can't get the biggest stars and the biggest names on streaming. You can. But you're also accurate to point out that these movies can make more money in the theaters than they can there. So it'll be interesting to see how that kind of uh, turns out. And by the way, the next UFC looks amazing, by the way. Uh, On Hold writes, uh, hi, guy. I'm excited about the Wheel of Time series. One of my favorite fantasy books. Also, Judge Dredd, though it keeps being put on hold, I want to see the 2080 comics on the screen. Fans waited too long. For me, the best graphic novels ever. Thanks, guys. Yeah, the unfortunate part is I don't believe we're ever going to get Judge Dredd, at least not in the next five to ten years. I don't think we're going to get another Judge Dredd because the last Judge Dredd movie with Carl Urban was fantastic. And it flopped like and it was the movie was great. I thought it was going to be stinker. It was a terrible marketing campaign. The trailers were terrible. So I thought the movie was going to be terrible. The, but the movie is crazy good and crazy fun. And even being crazy good and crazy fun, it completely flopped. So they've been trying to get um, another iteration of Judge Dredd up and running for a long time. Even Carl Urban keeps kind of stumping for let's do a sequel. And I hope they do because I really enjoyed it. I just I just have a hard time with actually uh, that it'll actually happen. Uh, Ryan Loner writes, word has officially come that Ronald D. Moore's all uh, for all mankind is getting a third season even before the second has started. Very exciting news for a fantastic show that you never hear anybody talking about. Well, then you don't watch my show because I've talked about for all mankind a number of times. Yeah, for all mankind is one of those shows on Apple TV plus that did not look like it would be all that good. Kind of like morning show. And then you watch it. It's like, wow, this is really good. Like morning show was great. And my brother-in-law Ray got me into watching for all mankind. And I was really surprised, pleasantly surprised uh, just how good. Now, of course, Ronald D. Moore is also the guy behind my all time favorite television show, the, the recent Battlestar Galactica. 
But uh, yeah, it is a terrific show, Ryan. All right next up, Josh Mickle writes, Joshua Mickle writes, for the life of me, I'm still trying to fathom how Toby, Andrew, and their villains are making the jump into the MCU. Is Doctor Strange on crazy pills? I'm starting to suspect that this will be one of the aftermaths of what's happened in WandaVision. Oh yeah, remember, um, Kevin Feige already, like on yesterday's presentation, made it very clear that the new Spider-Man, WandaVision, and the new uh, Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness movie is one interconnected story. So th- these are completely connected stories. So you're absolutely right. These are going to be tied in. And how they're going to bring this bonkerness around, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, A.V. Cali writes, John, wouldn't it be awesome for the post-credit scene of Spider-Man 3 to have all three Spider-Men do the infamous Tobey Maguire emo dance? Dude, I'll tell you what. I, I will... If they do that at the end of the movie, I will walk out of the theaters, buy another ticket and not even just just to reward them for that type of guts. If they were to do that, if I could see Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland all on screen at the same time doing the Spider-Man three emo dance, it would be a life well lived. It would be a life well lived if I could see that. All right. Joshua Mickle also writes trivia. Disney Plus houses all of Disney's content from Marvel, Star Wars, not all of it yet, but they're getting there. Uh, Marvel, Star Wars, Disney Animation, etc. But there is content on Disney Plus that features Warner Brothers Looney Tunes. Uh, what movie is it? Uh, it's the only time we've seen this crossover on the big screen. Um, I'm not sure. Was Ready Player One a Fox movie? I can't remember. Because it might be Ready Player One. Maybe it's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That's a good question. If you guys know in the in the live chat, throw in a uh, throw in an answer to that question. It's an interesting question. All right. Thanks for that, Joshua. Next up, an anonymous viewer writes, one of two. Warner Brothers Movie Studio and HBO Max are equal divisions under the Warner Media corporate hierarchy, and Warner Media is owned by AT&T. It seems like the decision came from AT&T since they want HBO Max to be a major part of their uh, wireless business, hoping to attract and... And keep customers by offering HBO Max in their packages. So that gives them incentive to build up HBO Max, even at the expense of the movie studio division. Just mentioning, since many are denouncing the Warner Brothers studio, but probably had no choice. Here's the thing, and I've heard a lot of people trying to differentiate, but the reality is this. They are now one company. I mean, that's the reality. Like, you can't... Lucasfilm is Disney. Disney is Lucasfilm. Marvel is Disney. Disney is Marvel. Pixar is Disney. Disney is Pixar. And so I get it that within big corporations and within structures like that, there are different individuals at different levels. But at the end of the day, for me, they're one company. I mean, if they're all under AT&T, then it's just one thing. AT&T is Warner Brothers. I mean, we may not like that, but AT&T is Warner Brothers. So I take no issue when people target their criticism at AT&T, but I also have no no criti- no no complaints when people target and use the phrase Warner Brothers when they blame Warner Brothers. As that one email that Rob wrote too, this probably was very much a Warner Brothers issue. And Toby at Warner Brothers and the head of Warner Brothers trying to just create a sweet position for himself. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to find out. But to me, it's it's kind of just semantics at that point. But I don't know. Maybe I'm looking at that the wrong way. Maybe if I think about it more, I would change my position on that. All right. What Luke1234 writes, 
It'll be interesting to see how Holland and Garfield react to Maguire having organic webbing when they just have mechanical web shooters. Also, curious if Maguire and Garfield have uh, Avengers teams or if they're only heroes in their own universes. That'll be interesting to see. And by the way, it should be noted that yesterday there was no presentation about Spider-Man 3. And so there was no confirmation about Garfield or Maguire. There was no denials either, but there was no confirmation that Maguire or Garfield would be there. Obviously, I've heard that they are, and I believe that they are. But as of right now, Disney hasn't confirmed it. You know, a lot of people ask, I saw people asking, understandably, like, why didn't they specifically talk about Spider-Man 3? My only thought to that is, well, because technically it's a Sony film. I mean, that's the only explanation I have. That might not even be the right explanation. It's just the only one that I have. Why they would mention all these other projects when Spider-Man 3 is already in production and they didn't even mention it other than to say that it ties in with WandaVision and Doctor Strange. They didn't even really break. They didn't give it its own. By the way, let's talk about Spider-Man 3. They didn't even talk about it. The Again, the only thing I can figure as to why is because technically speaking, it is a Sony film. Sony is the distributor of that film. So, I mean, I don't know. That's just a wild guess. Uh, might be true, might not be true. I'm just taking a wild stab at it here, Luke. All right, next up, uh, Oreo Cream Guy writes, Hey, John and Rob, so I woke up this morning to see that Charlie Cox is trending on Twitter. Apparently now uh, his iteration of Daredevil will be in Spider-Man 3. Uh, again, I would ignore that, ignore that report it, because here's the thing. That report is all coming from one source, a small site with a small following and all that kind of stuff. That doesn't mean it's not true. That doesn't mean it's not true. I don't believe that site is lying. I do believe that is what that site has been told. I believe I believe that. But I don't I have no reason to believe that the people that told them that are reliable. Here's here's my take on this whole thing always cuz if you go and look at variety Deadline, The Hollywood Reporter, uh, The Wrap, Entertainment Weekly, all the major real legitimate news sites, none of them are reporting this. My philosophy on these things is this, because every day, 10 to 20 of these little rumors start up every single day. 95 to 99% of the time, it's not true and it just goes away. But every once in a while, the things that come out of these sort of sources do end up being true. If it's true, at some point, the rap, the Hollywood Reporter, Deadline, Entertainment Weekly, uh, what have you, at some point, one of the legitimate major news sites, if it's real, they'll report on it. So to me, my philosophy has always kind of been, look, there's no point in talking about the 20 little rumors that start up every single day, because we're just gonna be wasting our time spending hours talking about things that aren't actually real. If it is real at some point, variety will talk about it or, you know, or, or deadline will talk about it. And if they report it, then we can discuss it. Then we can talk about it. Then we can actually make it a real issue uh, to discuss. So yeah, it's not me saying that I think these smaller sites like, uh, like mine, it's not me saying that these smaller little kind of unknown outlets like me aren't, aren't never come up with real actual facts. Of course it happens once in a while, but I'm just saying if it is real, then it'll make it up at some point 
to those outlets that have real sources and real contacts and have real research and real journalists and all that kind of stuff. And if it gets to there, then we can talk about it. So for now, everybody's running with this Charlie Cox thing. And by the way, it might be real. It might be real. I'm not sitting here telling you it's not. But I'm saying everybody is reporting the same thing that comes from this one site. That doesn't mean it's not true. It just means it's not really worth getting worked up over uh, until one of the legitimate news sites reports it. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Uh, okay, anyway. Uh, Jordanator720 writes, Hello, John. Since tomorrow is Disney's Investor Day, this was obviously before uh, the, the Investor Day happened, and that they are going to make some major announcements, I really hope that they'll announce the return of the Marvel slash Netflix shows for new seasons with the same cast and crew, creative team. And yeah, that was never going to happen. <laughs> that, that unfortunately, Jordan, obviously that did not happen, and we all know that was never going to happen. Those bridges have been burned between Marvel and Netflix, so I don't expect to see that again. Uh, an anonymous, oh, we already got that anonymous one. Another anonymous one writes in, you know the Coke students, you know the Coke student spots before films at Regal? Not really. I, I'm not, I don't have a Regal theater near me, so I'm very, very rarely in a Regal theater. That's just because there's not really one close to me. Last year, I got chosen to direct one. Oh, that's awesome. Great experience. But when Regal changed to Pepsi, our spots ended on ended up on YouTube instead of the big screen. Still grateful. But in a way, I relate to Warner Brothers directors now. That sucks, man. You get an opportunity like that. But hey, listen, the fact of the matter is you still got chosen to be a part of something like that. And that is huge. That's a great honor. That's a feather in your cap. Absolutely. Be excited about that. And look, there's always going to be things that happen outside your control that you there's nothing you can do about. But I, to me, it does not take away any of the honor that you got selected to do one of those spots. And I think that's super exciting, man. Well done. Congratulations to you. All right. Key Lime Killer writes, as exciting as all this Spider-Man news is, I really want to see in Spider-Man 3, is Spider-Man kicking ass in the heart of New York City? I hope the other Spider-Men aren't just there to hold his hand. I want Tom Holland to finally take charge as Spidey. Hey, listen, I'm with you. They, they have, listen, I've loved... Uh, the the Spider-Man movies. I've loved, I've really liked Homecoming. I quite enjoyed Far From Home. I didn't like Far From Home as much as Homecoming, but I still really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. But they keep treating Spider-Man like he's not good enough on his own. He needs other people holding his hands. He's got to, you know, and, and so it would be really nice to see him come into his own as Spider-Man. It would be really nice to see that. So I hope if the Garfield... And uh, McGuire situation turns out to be true. Uh, then I hope they're done in such a way that their accents to Tom Holland, Spider-Man, not there to be yet new characters to hold Spider-Man's hand. You know what I'm saying? So I'm with you on that. All right. Kevin G writes. In addition to building HBO with mobile plans, the recent news surrounding Warner Brothers is the type of uh, anti-competitive behavior you might expect if AT&T owned a movie studio and streaming service. Please discuss your thoughts on AT&T's management of these companies. Again, listen, we heard from Rob today that this might not be an AT&T thing, that this might have been actually the head of Warner Brothers' idea to try to position himself better for a bigger position in the AT&T empire. So it's hard for anybody when I don't know what actually happened in those boardrooms. I can say what it looks like, but I wasn't in the boardroom, so I don't really know. I don't know if the responsibility lies with AT&T, if like Rob read in that email, if it, the responsibility lies with Warner Brothers. 
whatever. To me, it's all semantics. I mean, they're one company at this point. At some point along the way, somebody made a dumb decision and then other people went along with it. So it's hard for me to give too much commentary on AT&T's management when really we don't know what their management has been like yet. We, we simply don't know. I'm not in the room. We can guess. We can speculate. But the reality is right now, I don't know. It doesn't look good. I can say that. It doesn't look good. But I don't know that for sure, Kevin. But you're asking a really good question. You're asking the right questions, Kev. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, there are reports that Charlie Cox who reprised his role in Daredevil and Spider-Man 3. It's actually, there's one report. All, all the other sites talking about it all come from the same one source. Uh, granted, there's so much going on in this movie, but if anyone can pull it off, it's Feige. Do you think Toby and Garfield will have major roles or cameos? Loved your movie. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, I My guess is that their roles will be small. My guess, because remember, I was contacted as well and told that they are going to be in it. Okay, so whatever. Whether that's true or not, we'll find out. If they are, I believe they could be significant roles, but smaller, right? You can have a character in a movie for a long time, and they're completely insignificant to the movie. And you can have characters in a movie for a short amount of time, but be very important. I believe, and again, this is just me guessing, that if McGuire and Garfield are in it, I believe they will be in it for a relatively short amount of time, but the presence of their characters will have large impact in the movie as a whole. Again, that's just me speculating and guessing. We'll see where we go. All right, Ryan Holmes writes, uh, Hey, John, with all the Spider-Man 3 cast rumors and speculations, something occurred to me. They have been filming the movie for a month or more. While I understand that these films shoot for several months, isn't the fact that we are just now... Uh, getting word on them being in the movie suggests that their roles are ultimately smaller, possibly cameos. It, yes, that's one of the main reasons that I believe it's probably smaller roles, important roles, but smaller ones. So you just nailed it on the head, Ryland. Why, why I believe that. I, I, I believe that hearing that uh, they're just getting on board now and whatever probably means that the movie could have gone on even if they didn't sign up to be in it. And that ultimately means to me probably smaller roles. But who knows? We don't know that. We don't know for sure. Let's wait and find out. Miguel writes, hey, John, uh, with uh, with this Spider-Man multiverse BS they're potentially doing, do you think that this put pressure on writers of Spider-Man 3 and director? How are they going to pull this off? Did Feige get involved? If they pull this off, uh, I'll be like Ian Malcolm. You did it, you crazy sons of bitches. Well, is Kevin Feige involved? Kevin Feige is, listen. A lot of times people complain about studio interference. There is no studio that has a more controlling head than Marvel. And the reason that it is that way is because it works for them. Kevin Feige is, has an iron fist when it comes to what happens in the MCU. Now, he meets with filmmakers and he lays out, listen, in this movie, you got to do this, this, and this. And you got to avoid this, this, and this. Follow those parameters and then do anything else you want in the movie. Do whatever you want in this movie. Go crazy. Be a director. Be, be creative. But here are the caveats. This has got to happen. This has got to happen. This character needs to end up here and make sure you don't do this, this, and this. In everything else in this playground, you go nuts and do whatever you want to do. But Kevin Feige is directly involved and has the final. He has to be the one to say, yes, we can do that. He ultimately is. I mean, they're 
Every single movie has had things the directors have wanted to do that Kevin Feige stepped in and said, no, you can't do that. Right. One of the big, big examples of that is the first Avengers movie. Uh, I still contend the greatest comic book movie of all time. But like Joss Whedon, I remember he was at a uh, he was at the Directors Guild and giving a speech and I was there and he was saying, listen, my first draft of the script, he didn't have uh, Black Widow in it. Instead of Black Widow, he had Wasp. He wanted to bring Wasp in that early. And that was his script. That was his story that he wanted to do. And Kevin Feige stepped in and said, no, we got to have Black Widow. So take out Wasp and put in Black Widow. Everything else was, was, was Whedon, but that's just an example of that, that Feige is that kind of controlling. How they'll pull it off, I don't know. I do trust Sam Raimi, though, um, uh, to work with uh, John Watts. I'm sure because Sam Raimi is now in the MCU. He's going to be doing the Doctor Strange movie in which Spider-Man will be a part. So I trust them all. And Kevin Feige will definitely have a controlling hand over all of it. Make no mistake about it. All right. Uh, next up, Sam P. writes. Hey, John, with the possible demise of the movie going experience, could you see public support grow to save them at least with independent chains? This has happened before with fan takeovers of their favorite sports teams who, who also run like a business. Yes, but the only way I can see that working for movie theaters is if theaters can still get the big movies that people want to see in them, right? If a small movie theater can still get the movies into the theater, the big movies people want to see, then yes, I can see cinemas being saved. And by the way, again, maybe Disney just saved the movie theaters. I don't know. We'll have to see. But it can't just be a theater with its doors open playing anything, it's got to be theaters playing movies that people want to see. And that's going to be the trick, Sam. That's going to be the trick. But I sure hope so. I sure hope so, man. Uh, Anthony uh, Garola writes, Hey, John, in Spider-Man 2, Doc Ock says, I will not die a monster and sacrifices himself to save the city. With Alfred Molina's return to the franchise, do you think he will be an ally or enemy? Either way, I'm excited for his return. Have a great day. I think, and again, I'm just guessing here. We don't know. We only found out a couple of days ago that Alfred Molina is coming back, as reported in The Hollywood Reporter, as Doc Ock. I can only guess it's a multiverse version of him and he's definitely going to be an enemy. He's definitely going to be an enemy. The, the one possibly interesting twist could be what if like Tobey Maguire's universe Spider-Man that comes in is actually a villainous Spider-Man. <gasps> what if Tom Holland has to team up with like a Jamie Foxx electro because in, in his universe, Spider-Man, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man is actually a villain. And Electro's the a hero in that universe. And when they come in, you know, Tom Holland's got to team up with Doc Ock and a heroic Doc Ock and heroic um uh Electro and they need to take on villainous Toby Maguire. Villainous Toby Maguire and villainous Andrew Garfield. <gasps> what if that's what they're doing? Wouldn't that blow your mind? I'm not suggesting that's what they're doing, but it would be kind of fun. All right. Miles writes, Hey, John, got to say, love your documentary. Best one I've seen. Uh, since oh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate that very, very much. Thank you for the support. Uh, it's the best one I've seen. Uh, seeing as you've watched Avatar, the last airbender, give the dragon prince a shot on Netflix three seasons. Also Steven universes. I'm not a big, I didn't like Steven's universe to be honest with you. Uh, I've never heard of the Dragon Prince. 
You know, it's weird. I, I really did end up enjoying Avatar The Last Airbender. I was very, very late to the party on that, but I really did like the show. I just watched it earlier this year and I really liked it. Um, everybody told me I would like My Hero Academia and I gave I, I pushed through the end of season two. I got through the second season, but I've tapped out. I can't, I can't take it anymore. I don't think it's any good at all. I've never even heard of The Dragon Prince. So I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll keep my eyes open for it. I'll take a look and see if I can see that. Maybe it'll be the next one that I can enjoy. All right, next up, uh, Marley V writes, Hey, John and Rob, can you guys give me some insight on a producer's role in filmmaking? Sometimes I see up to 10 producers credited depending on budget and also what's an executive producer's role compared to just a producer. Okay, here's the thing. We've talked about this a lot and I'll only touch on this briefly. The term, what the true producer of a movie is, is ultimately the dude or dudette that is truly in charge of that movie. They're the ones, in a traditional sense, the true producer of the movie is one who gets the rights to the script, hires the writer, gets the director, um, lays out their vision for what they want, and then gets all the other pieces of the puzzle put in place to make the movie go. That is truly what the producer does. The problem is in Hollywood and, and in filmmaking, the term producer has become liquid. It can mean a hundred different things. For example, Steven Spielberg is listed as a producer in some way, shape, or form on like a thousand movies. Some of them he had nothing to do with. Some of them he connected to people in exchange for a producer's credit. Some of them, he might've even sat down with a director and consulted with them for a few hours in exchange for a producer's credit. There are some movies that just wanted Steven Spielberg's name on it and would pay him a salary to just attach his name as a producer. And that's where you get a lot of confusion happening in a lot of movies. That's why when the Academy Awards happen and Best Picture is, is announced, the actual Academy Award for Best Picture gets given to the producer. Even though that movie might have 15 different people listed as producers, executive producers, associate producers, uh, whatever, it, it becomes very, very confusing for the audience because it can mean a thousand different things. Again, we could talk about this for an hour or more, but th that's the best thing I can do in a really short period of time. It's an excellent question, Marley, and you're not the first to ask it, my friend. So don't feel bad if it, if it seems confusing. Uh, Obi-Wan Smokey writes, is the metal ball that baby Yoda likes to play with made of Beskar? I don't think so. No, uh, seems that the spear and ball were the only things not damaged. So I would assume. So what are your thoughts? No, they didn't make components for, um, his ship, they weren't made out of Beskar. So no, uh, the little metal ball was absolutely not made out of Beskar. Uh, next up, uh, Leo, not from Pasadena writes uh, and tips in $20. Thank you for that. Leo. Appreciate that. Hey, John and Rob, if still present and he's not, unfortunately, I'm excited for Spider-Man three, but I think Dr. Strange will have to introduce this plot into the multiverse. Is there a chance that MCU phase four will just leave us on a bunch of cliffhangers, uh, at the end of each movie? No, not if they're done right. See, look, one of the things that Kevin Feige does really well with his MCU movies is he does the stories and leaves open doors for where the next movie or the next story can logically go. But he never ends it like Lord of the Rings Return of the King, where, you know, Frodo and Samwise, ah, there it is, Mount Doom, Mordor, there it is. Ah, okay, let's go to Mordor. 
and the credits roll and like half the audience who didn't understand didn't know the books were like what the hell you're ending on that right that's not how kevin feige ends the mcu movies he does a great job of making every movie a satisfying self-contained story while leaving big open doors that naturally flow or can lead us into other stories and next stories, but not like ultimate. He never lets an audience walk out of a movie feeling like this is incomplete. Even Infinity War. Infinity War was a self-contained, self-sustaining movie. It was a complete film that ended with the bad guy winning. We A lot of people didn't like that the bad guy won. But that's how that story ends. This is a story where this is the setup. This happens in the second act. And then the third act ends with the bad guy winning. Done. And then they made another one later, but it was still its own self-contained movie. And that's something that Kevin Feige has been great at in the MCU. So I believe the same thing will happen with, I don't think you're going to see these, these, these BS big major cliffhanger endings. I don't think they'll do that. He wants the audience to leave satisfied satisfied and excited about the next chapter all at the same time. So I think that's the way he'll continue on, Leo. Uh, I do. Great question. Uh, Cam Oyemi writes, Hey, John, love the show, especially the Campia classroom. Thank you so much. Those breakdowns are really amazing. In other news, Cobra Kai season three trailer is now out. To put it mildly, I'm extremely hyped. What are your thoughts about the new trailer? Listen, I don't like Cobra Kai. I was very excited about the show when they announced it and I was all hyped about it as it was getting ready to come out at first. And then I watched like five or six episodes and I'm like, nah, this isn't for me. That's all. My wife loves it and loves the damn show, but it's not for me. That's fine. So as somebody who hasn't really liked Cobra Kai personally, I did watch the trailer for Cobra Kai season three. And even I was like, damn, that's a good trailer. Like even I, who didn't like the show so far, I'm thinking about checking out season three because that trailer was really good. That's the hallmark. I mean, you know, you've made a great trailer, not just when you take somebody who doesn't know anything about the property, and make them excited, but you take somebody who already watched your show and didn't like it already. And you made them excited about it. That's what that trailer did. I, I agree with you, man. That was a really good trailer. And I think. Despite the fact that I haven't liked the show so far, I'm going to check out season three. That's how good that trailer was. So, yeah, I liked it a lot. All right. Next up, Casey McNatt writes, hey, John and Rob, with the Disney investor meeting happening tomorrow again, this was earlier uh, or today, whenever you read this, uh, is there another event on Thursday? The video game, there is another event on Thursday, the video game awards with Tom Holland appearing uh, there. What are the chances we see the first teaser for Uncharted? You know what? I remember we talked about this last week and I said, I believe at the video game awards, we will get our first teaser at Uncharted. They finished shooting the movie. The Uncharted movie is finished. It's a major name in the video game world. It just seemed to make sense, but I don't know if they, I haven't heard that they launched anything about it. I mean, I haven't heard anybody uh, tell me um, uh, that whether it happened or not. So I don't know, but it would have, if they didn't, I think it was a missed opportunity because it seems like a perfect place to drop a first teaser for that Casey. Absolutely. Uh, Rob Yuri writes, will we have an announcement for an Ahsoka Tano and Bo-Katan show? I believe hope dream. will. well, like I said, I did. I, I kind of let it slip on my Twitter the night before that they were about to announce because I got told about the Ahsoka Tano thing. So was that I didn't know about Bo-Katan though. I thought there was a chance that a Bo-Katan series could be announced. 
uh, but they didn't. I think they're going to incorporate Bo-Katan more into, and again, I don't know this. This is just me speculating. I speculate that Bo-Katan will become more integrated into Mandalorian moving forward, maybe in season three. So again, and obviously they didn't announce a Bo-Katan show, but they did the Ahsoka one. Uh, Downright Drums writes, Longtime watcher, listener of your show. Thank you so much, Downright. I appreciate that, man. Your show and commentaries become an everyday watch slash listen. You, Aaron, and Robert all rock. Keep the filthy. Best of luck with your escrow. Thank you so much, man. So what he means by escrow is Ann and I just bought our first house. And um, we tech the deal closes on Wednesday. Um, and I'm freaking out. I'm so excited. Um Ann and I have wanted to buy a home. We've been trying very hard for over a year to buy our first house. And uh, we just we just did it. And we're so excited. We were on the phone yesterday with our contractor and doing all these renovations that we're going to be doing. I cannot wait. And so we're going to have a new studio for the John Campion show. Very excited about that. It's not going to be like something big and grand. It's just going to be in the house. But still, I'm excited about that. So uh, thanks, Downright. And thank you for being along for the ride, man. I appreciate that. All right. Arian uh, Parek writes, I rewatched Spider-Man 2. That movie is so special. It absolutely is. Uh, I feel like we don't get any Spider-Man movies these days that actually focus so much on the character and struggles of Peter Parker. It captured the drama and gravitas of Spider-Man uh, better than any. Well, listen, I, I think it's fair to say I don't disagree with you, but every movie is a has finite time and space to do all the things they want to do. You can make an argument that movies like Homecoming and Far From Home did certain things better than those first two Sam Raimi Spider-Mans did. And I think you can make a very legitimate argument about that. But every movie can only have so much stuff in it. I also believe you're right to say that those first two Sam Raimi Spider-Man films did certain other things better than the new Spider-Man movies did. They just decided to go for different things. And I, I completely agree with you. Listen, I think for a long time, for a number of years, I think Spider-Man 2 was the best comic book movie ever made for a period of time. And then other films began to come out a few years later that started to surpass it. But Spider-Man 2 is an absolute gem of a comic book movie. It is an absolute gold standard to me, a top 10 uh, greatest comic book movie of all time. I still have Spider-Man 2 in that top 10. Uh, so I agree with you on that, man. All right, Stubble McShave writes, over under 70%, one or more of the actors in Spider-Man will have age reduction effects. I'm going to go under 70. I think there's a chance, there's a possibility, yes, but 70 is a real high number, Stubble. So I'm going to go under, plus there's no need. You don't have to have younger Peter Parkers, right? Or other things. They didn't make J.K., Look any younger for him coming back to play JJ. So uh, 70, again, I think there's a chance, but 70% is a little bit too high of a number for me. All right, guys, we're already past uh, the two hour mark, but we're going to go a little bit longer today because we had so much stuff to cover. So we're going to take today's show a little bit longer today. All right. Uh, I'll keep going as long as my throat holds out. All right. Terry Giordano writes. Hello there, John. How about over under for Sony reaching an agreement to launch Venom and Morbius on Apple TV or other streaming service same time as theatrical at this point? Uh, gonna go back and do rewatch of Battlestar Galactica just for fun this week. I don't think Sony will do that, to be honest with you. I don't see them doing it. Um, I can see them putting Morbius and Venom on Apple TV Plus after they do theatrical if there are even theaters around for them to play it theatrically, that's going to be the big question. Um, but what I don't see them doing 
is both at the same time. I don't see Sony doing, again, this is just me speculating. That's all just baseless speculation, but I don't see them doing a day and date in theaters. If theaters are even around and on Apple TV on the same day, I could see them pulling a move where they just put it to Apple TV or just putting it in theaters, but I don't see them doing that mix of both. But who knows? Again, I'm just speculating. Good question, Terry. All right. Marcus Mack writes, I have to ask, what do you think about the new Colonel Sanders movie, A Recipe for Seduction, starring Mario Lopez? And will you be watching it? Dude, this is one of the most ridiculous things I have ever seen. Hold a second. A Recipe for Romance. Let me see if I can find this, this image here. Um, if you guys have not seen this, um, wait a second, uh, recipe, oh, recipe for seduction. Sorry, seduction. That's right. Um, if you guys have not seen this, this is one of the strangest things I have ever seen or heard of in movies, but apparently Lifetime is doing this Colonel Sanders romance Lifetime movie where Mario Lopez is playing Colonel Sanders. And I can tell you right now, this is one of two things. There's no third option. This is one of two things. Okay. There's no third choice. It's only going to be one of two things. This is either going to be the greatest thing ever in the history of storytelling and, and television making and movie making, or it's going to be the absolute worst thing of all time. Most likely it's going to be one of the most ridiculous worst things of all time. But this is so ludicrous. It's one of these things where somebody, you just know the way this came about. Somebody said, as a joke, let's do a, a Colonel Sanders hot, steamy romance movie. We'll call it Recipe for Seduction. Ha ha. And it was just a joke. And then somebody went, you know what? Maybe that could work. You know, that's how this came about, right? I mean, look at them. Again, either the worst thing ever in the history of uh, filmmaking or quite possibly the greatest thing ever in the history of filmmaking. Who knows? We'll have to wait and find out. Uh, anyway, next up, uh, an anonymous viewer writes, is there any chance we see Miles Morales in Spider-Man three? Any chance? Yes. Do I think it's likely? No, I think, um, I think Sony has plans for that. So, but don't say it's impossible. It's not impossible. There is a chance. I just think it's unlikely. So I'm not expecting it, but definitely a chance. Uh, Brazilian dude writes in the Morbius trailer. There is a frame with a wall poster of Spider-Man. It looks more like wall graffiti uh, wearing the Raimi costume. Could it be that Morbius is from Raimi's universe and is one of the characters transported from that universe into Spider-Man three? It's a possibility, but remember uh, just because look, a lot of people say that that costume looked more like the video game costume, but whatever. I don't know that the costume itself was giving any sort of indication what universe that's all happening in. For all we know, this Mar this uh, Morbius movie could literally be happening in the MCU proper. I mean, we don't know that. I'm, I don't even think that's likely, but that's one of the possibilities too. It's quite possible that this, this Morbius movie happens in the MCU where Tom Holland is right now. It's possible. After all, we saw Michael Keaton in that same trailer who was in the Tom Holland movie universe, right? So uh, right now there is a Brazilian dude. There is a plethora of possibilities on the table, an absolute plethora of possibilities. Um, so that's possible. 
But I think it might be a different answer. Hell, he, again, I still think he might just be in Tom Holland's universe. There's Michael Keaton. So who knows? We'll see. All right. Jesse writes, I think for marketing alone, a name like Warner Max would have been a lot better than using the HBO nameplate. It doesn't have a plus and it lets consumers know exactly what they're getting. Yeah, we were just debating this the other day about whether this new service, HBO Max, should have even been called that. And I think it was the wrong name because it doesn't it didn't sound like it was something brand new. It's confusing because remember when HBO Max launched. We literally had HBO, HBO Go, HBO Now, and HBO Max, right? It's like, it was just, and they, there was so much overlapping about them. It just created confusion. I think, you know, I think Rob and I both agreed that it would have been better for them to just call it Warner Plus or whatever, um, just to make it clear that the, the Warner Brothers or Warner Brothers Max or Warner Brothers stream or whatever. I think it would have served them better to call it Warner brothers as opposed to HBO. I just think that would have helped because again, they, they kind of botched the launch and I really like HBO max. Let's be very, very clear. I like HBO max very, very much. I think they put out some killer content, but they botched their launch and they're making some pretty dumb decisions, uh, post launch as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, Darth Grogu writes, breaking news, John Campy to reprise his MCU cameo role in Spider-Man 3. That's right. The same role I played in The Incredible Hulk. I'm going to be playing in Spider-Man 3. Obviously, I'm lying just for anybody who didn't pick up on that. I'm completely lying about that. Thanks for that, Darth. All right. Murray Reich writes, Warner Brothers response to AMC. I have altered the deal. Pray I do not alter it any further. I mean, yeah. I mean, again, I just don't understand what Warner Brothers is thinking. Because when the news first came out about Warner Brothers making taking all their 2021 movies to HBO Max, my thing was, eh, I don't like it, but I get it. And for sure, they talked to everybody and they made behind-the-scenes deals with everybody and they made sure everybody was happy before they announced this. Was I wrong about that? They didn't tell anybody. They just blindsided everybody. Their production partners, their directors, their filmmaking partners, they just blindsided everybody. Uh, I can't imagine how they could have handled this worse. I really don't. I cannot imagine how they could have handled this worse. And I think we're only beginning to see the fallout of what's going to happen as a result. Uh, what Zituya says, that's an interesting combination of words. Uh, hey, John, if Marvel had the opportunity to approach Christopher Nolan with any of their past scripts, which project do you think would tickle his fancy? My guess would be either Ant-Man or Doctor Strange for his desire to distort things. What do you think? I don't Ant-Man is not in Christopher Nolan's wheelhouse. Um, the lighter comedy caper kind of thing that's never been in Christopher Nolan's wheelhouse. It's always been the kind of movie I would love for him to do. But of any of the existing MCU movies that I think would really fall in his wheelhouse, two come to mind. One you mentioned, Doctor Strange. That is one with all I mean there's an inception part. There's a, there's a bit of inception in that Doctor Strange movie. So I could have seen that. The other one, the political thriller, the 1970s political thriller, Captain America Winter Soldier. That's another one that could have been uh, that I think Christopher Nolan could have looked at and go, yeah, I could do that. So those are the two that come to mind for me. Good, good question, man. I like that one. Anonymous viewer writes, taken for Grogu's Revenge. Yeah, all now we need is uh, is Liam Neeson to come back as Force Ghost Qui-Gon and go, I have a certain set of skills. 
I mean, there you go. You got taken four right there. It writes itself anonymous. Brazilian dude writes, I wish Hoist Gracie, LOL. I wish I was Hoist Gracie. I love your documentary, by the way. So excited for what you do next. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate that. And yeah, I remember Brazilian dude. I said, you know, I know it's wrong, but whenever somebody mentions to me that they're from Brazil, my first question I want to ask is, do you know Hoist Gracie? It's a stupid thing. I know. Because when I tell people I'm from Canada, people say, do you know a guy named Bob? You do know Canada is like, way bigger than the US, right? I mean, physically, it's a big, really big place. So no, I don't know Bob, but I feel bad about it. Whenever I hear somebody's from from uh, Brazil, I desperately just want to know if they know who Hoist Gracie, if they personally know Hoist Gracie. All right, David writes, hey, John, I sent uh, the question about actors being required to have the COVID vaccination. That was a good question. Well, I now notice that Letitia Wright and Gina Carano both recently coming out against vaccinations. Does that put them uh, being in Black Panther 2 or Mando 3 at risk? No. Again, listen, I don't care what actors, as long as they're not doing anything that actively hurt people or like is spreading hate or whatever, I don't care what an actor's personal position is on different subjects in our world. Um, that doesn't affect how I view their work or whether I believe they should work. So, and Gina Carano, listen, I've been a fan of Gina Carano for a long time. She's never been the best actress, but I've always just liked her attitude and the way she carries herself and blah, blah, blah. She has said some really stupid things lately, but I don't think anything that should cause people to go, oh, she should be fired from it. I don't, I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. The, but with the vaccination stuff, here's where it could become a real problem. Studios could require, because listen, if a set, if a shoot and a studio set has to be shut down, that costs the studio millions of dollars, millions, not hundreds, not thousands, not hundreds of thousands. It costs the studio millions when a production has to be shut down for a period of time. And so... What I think you're going to, and what's going to happen is if they're trying to do a new season, a, a new Black Panther movie or a new season of Mandalorian or whatever, if somebody on that set catches COVID, they need to shut, they have to shut the production down. Maybe for just a couple of days, maybe for a week. I mean, who knows? But the production gets shut down for a period of time. And whenever they got to shut those things down, it costs them millions. So what I can see happening is that if you want to sign up to be in a season of television or if you want to sign up to be a part of this movie crew and team, you have to be at, you have to be vaccinated. It would be a totally reasonable thing for a studio to require, because listen, if you come on here and you get sick or you get someone sick, it's going to cost us millions, millions. So yes, they can require just like when you walk onto a work site, uh, a lot of uh, companies will require that you be wearing steel-toed boots. You can't work for our company, our construction company, and come onto a work site without wearing the white hard hat. You can't do it because there are liability issues that we have. And so to protect themselves and to protect their investment, you're probably going to see, once the vac uh, vaccinations become available, you're probably going to see a number of studios and shoots and movies and TV shows require that if you want to come onto our set, you got to be vaccinated because if you're not, you pose a threat 
to the well-being and health of our employees and you pose a threat to our project. Because if you get sick and come on our set, we have to shut everything down and it's going to cost us millions. At that point, I think you're going to hear Letitia Wright, who I adore, by the way. I adore Letitia Wright. I do. But if that if it comes to that, you're going to see Letitia Wright change her tune pretty quick. Yeah. It's like, hey, Letitia, you're going to make like two and a half million dollars to be in this Black Panther movie. But you um, we can't let you on set unless you take the vaccination. No problem. <laughs> Vaccine away. I guarantee you she's going to change her tune real quick. Same with Gina Carano, who I think there, I think she's, again, no one's told me this. I think Gina Carano is going to be one of the leads of um, uh, Rangers of the New Republic. I, again, no one's told me that. I'm just speculating. And she's going to get like to be the lead in one of these shows. She's going to get like one of her own shows. But when they say to her, oh, oh, by the way, Gina, to come on set and to come into the stagecraft area um, and to be around all of our crew. We're requiring everybody have a vaccination. No problem, Gina Carano will say. I guarantee you. When it comes down to that, Gina Carano is not going to turn down her own show because she doesn't want to take a vaccine. She'll take it. She'll take it because she ain't dumb. She might say some dumb things, but she ain't dumb. Anyway, that's my take on that. Um, Let's see. Willow writes, how important is a campaign to a movie's performance at the awards? Can a great film get snubbed simply due to a weak campaign? I mean, anything's possible. Honestly, I've t- I know a number of people who are voting members of the Academy. I've got several friends who are voting members of the Academy. And it is, it is honestly, there's this, there's this myth out there. Uh, I even remember, uh, what's the name of that show? Somebody ruins, Andy ruins everything. And anyway, it's a terrific show where they like do this breakdown of things about how wedding rings are a big, massive fraud. And all, they do all these great things. I'm trying to remember that if you guys know the name of the show, so-and-so ruins everything. If you guys know the name of that show, please throw it into the live chat because it's, it's bothering me. It's a really good show as a matter of fact, but even that show uh, did an episode about how Oh, all the Academy Award nominees, all the, it's the campaigns that determine which movies uh, win awards and stuff like that. That's that's nonsense. That's not Adam. Adam ruins everything. Thank you guys in the live chat. Thank you, Joshua and Steven and Bryce and all of you guys who put that in there. Thank you for that. Adam ruins everything. It's really a good show. I really enjoy it. But it's simply not true. Like there's this one woman I know I've known for years. I work. Yeah, she gets all the marketing from the uh, from the awards campaigning that all the studios do, she gets it all, but it doesn't change her opinion. It doesn't change her mind. Might it for a couple of people? Maybe, but that's the brilliance of the Academy having 7,000 voting members. Even if a few people in the Academy get swayed by that, the sheer number of voters will, will overwhelm that. And like I said, I know several people who are voting members of the Academy and that stuff never changes their minds. I mean, it might put things first and foremost in their in their face to remind them about certain things, but it really doesn't determine. Let me ask you this simple question. Everybody says, Oh no, the Academy members just vote because of who campaigns. Let me ask you this. If you were a voting member of the Academy, would you change your vote based on the campaign materials that studios send to you? You wouldn't change your vote. So why would you assume that somebody else would be stupid and do that? 
it's 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 really does it happen i think on isolated cases but i think it's truly over i think it's it's one of the big hollywood myths i really do i think that's one of the big hollywood myths but if if you are a studio you want to campaign for two reasons number one because you do want to make sure that you keep your film and your project in the eye line of the voting members of whatever awards ceremony you're going for, whether it's SAG Awards or whether it's BAFTAs or what, whatever, or the Academy Awards. You do want to keep your project visible to the awards voters. So that's important thing number one. But honestly, one of the other big reasons that studios do uh, awards campaigning is to make their artists happy. It makes an artist happy when they see that their studio is campaigning for them to win Best Supporting Actress. It makes the artist happy. It makes the director happy when they see their studio getting behind them and campaigning for them in award season. It is a great, um, not just for awards consideration, it's a great relations move. So these awards campaigns can be important for those two things, to keep visibility to the awards voters, absolutely, but also to make your talent happy. And that is a big deal. I, I've been told stories about some high-profile performers who've been really – I mean, I've been told stories by these performers who say they got really pissed when they found out their studio didn't even campaign for them. So it is it is a big deal. It's a big deal. All right. Take your pants off, right, as if it was Thursday here. Uh, so uh, – so we're teased Miles Morales in Homecoming over under 10%. He shows up in Spider-Man three. It's not impossible. I'll still take under 10. I'll take under 10, but not zero and not one. I put it maybe like 5% chance. 5%. Again, I don't think that's what Sony wants to do. I don't think Sony's in. I think they've got plans for Miles Morales. And I don't think it involves crossing it over with the other Spider-Man stuff, but it is possible. So I'll go 5%. 5% is where I'll go with that. Uh, just the tip. One of the best lines from Wedding Crashers. Uh, just the tip writes, so a few days after HBO Max announced their slate for 2021, I decided to sign up and choose the prepay six months deal. Let's say, as you mentioned, they pull the plug of the slate announced. Shouldn't I, along with many others, be able to get our money back? No. No, you can't. Because in all of these clauses... In all of the contracts, in all of the user agreements, there is always the clause subject to change. That is always in there. It is always in there. And if you look through your user agreements and contracts of HBO Max, the term subject to change is going to be in there. And that's why uh, a lot of times I won't sign up for a full year. <laughs> I'll, I'll sign up for things on a month to month basis. But yeah, because listen, um, let's say they do that, but then let's say legendary because Warner Brothers and HBO Max also have to protect themselves, right? Let's say legendary who they're saying um, legendary may be suing Warner Brothers for not releasing their King, King Kong versus Godzilla and their Dune movies in theaters because Legendary paid for those movies. So let's say Legendary takes Warner Brothers to court and they win in court and force Warner Brothers to release it exclusively to theaters first for the full 90-day theatrical window. Well, that is beyond HBO and Warner Brothers' control, right? That's beyond their control. Basically... HBO and Warner Brothers and all other companies like that always put in the user agreements 
clauses to cover their own ass. And one of those clauses, always a variation of subject to change. So no, unfortunately, you would not have a recourse to go and get your money back. You pre you prepaid for it. It was in the user agreement what you were prepaying for. It was in the user agreement about what may or may not happen. Um, so yeah, no, uh, you'd be uh, you'd be out of luck at that point. I think it's very unlikely that they change it, but if they do, that's that's the reality of it. Um, okay, Ryan Loner writes. Remember when there was a big deal about all the characters in Batman versus Superman, and it turned out most of them were literally just Wonder Woman watching a bunch of trailers uh, for the upcoming movies. I'm thinking Spider-Man three is the same thing. I mean, listen, I, I realized a long time ago, don't worry about how many characters are in a movie. How many characters were in infinity war? How many characters were in Endgame? How many characters were in Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse? And I contend, I think Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is the best comic book movie we've had since Logan. That's how good I think that movie is. I I really, I like that movie more than most people. I love Into the Spider-Verse. But look how many characters it had. It had tons. Look at all the villains it had, too. It had Kingpin, Doc Ock, and uh, Scorpion, and... Uh, 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 a Prowler. And they had so all these villains, and you had all these Spider-Men, right? You had... Uh, the anime and you had uh spider pig and you had uh spider ham i should say and you had uh the our our peter parker that we know best and then we had miles morales and we had spider gwen and look at all the characters that is what that is the best comic book movie since logan it's not about how many characters are in there i, I really wouldn't worry about that i wouldn't worry about that if a movie has a lot of characters and it's a bad movie it would have been bad even if they had fewer characters if a movie is terrible and it only had a couple of characters, then it would have been terrible even if they had more characters. It's all about how do you execute. That's all. It's all about execution, and it's all about how they execute. Uh, next up, James Germain writes, Hey, John, wondering if you saw The Mask of Zorro with Antonio Banderas. I did. I used to love that movie. I, I, it's not one of the all-time greats, but I, I used to get a big kick out of the movie. Him and Catherine Zeta-Jones and, and Anthony Hopkins. Uh, with Antonio Banderas, it was the first movie I watched in theaters. Looking back at it, I realized it was the perfect first film to watch. Uh, FYI, Reverse Flash is the captain who killed uh, the brother Pitter Patter. I'm not quite sure what we're talking about. Anyway, uh, as far as Zorro goes, yeah, see, there is this great moment in Zorro. Um, that they actually put in the trailer. I remember with Anthony Hopkins, which was great, where you see Antonio Banderas, who's now the next Zorro in training, and he does this big thing with the sword. And Anthony Hopkins is just like, and knocks the sword out of his hand. Great moment, fun films. The second one wasn't, was not as good. I'll, I'll be honest. The second one was not as good. But that first one, I still think about very, very fondly. I still think about that first one very fondly. All right. Roll of the egg writes, hey, John and co. I found your undying love for and analogy, both informative and creative. Well, thank you for that. That said, if Anne shows up Friday wearing an expertly made bald cap, LOL, love your show. I learn a lot from you and your guests. Let the filthy come forth. Well, thank you so much, man. And yeah, my wife is the best. And by the way, don't forget 4 p.m. Specific 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time today. Me and Anne are going to be doing our Mandalorian uh, open spoiler discussion. So if you're into Mandalorian and you've seen this week's episode, make sure you come back and join Anne and I as we talk about that a little bit later today. So thank you for that role, Diego. I appreciate that. 
Jay Bling writes, will phase four be where the MCU is renamed the MCM, the Marvel Cinematic Multiverse? I don't think so. I honestly think, and I said this a long time ago, and I still believe it. I think the multiverse is going to play a key role in some stories they're telling, and I believe they're going to close the multiverse off. Nobody's told me that. I'm not getting that from some secret inside source uh, studio source, but I believe what they're going to do is this uh, multiverse thing will be a part of a, a larger story and then it will culminate with the multiverse stuff being cut off. So we'll find out. We'll find out soon. Again, that's just my guess. That's just my guess. We'll see where that goes. All right. I only got a couple of minutes left here, guys. Uh, Jonathan writes. My QMR uh, quick movie review of movie trailers, a love story. So you saw it. Thank you so much, Jonathan. A short, concise and insightful little documentary that made me miss going to the movies and mourn the loss of a true theater going experience with fans. Great documentary. One critique. Kind of wish you had narrated it. Uh, a minus. No, I, I, one of the very first things I knew in making my movie, uh, movie trailers, a love story was that I was not going to, I do not have a narrator's voice. I, I do. I simply do not have the voice for narration. And I wasn't going to put myself in the movie. I put, I slipped in one quick little cameo of me in the movie. For those of you who've seen it, maybe you caught it. Maybe you didn't, but I slipped in one quick little cameo of me in the movie. Um, but I, I didn't want to be in the movie and I don't have a voice for a narrator. And I was so lucky. I found this dude, Justin, um, uh, Justin, uh, why am I, why am I suddenly freezing on Justin's last name? Simmons. I'm freezing on Justin's last name. Anyway, I, I found this great guy, Justin, who has a golden voice. And I was really, really, I love the narration in my movie. I really do. And it way better than if it had been me. But anyway, Jonathan, thank you for checking out my movie, man. And thank you for your quick review of that. All right. Jonathan writes, I feel cynical, but do regular people, not us movie fans, even care if theaters open or close? Maybe it's those very casual moviegoers who've lent a hand to the end of theaters. And to say that, uh, that's pretty damn sad. Kind of makes me wish people were as avid moviegoers as you or I. I mean, I just saw one com uh, commenter who celebrated the death of theaters and would prefer to watch in, uh, on their computer. Like, why? I don't know. It's a sad world out there. And theaters were our saving grace. I'll say this. I think a lot of casual moviegoers may be the ones to miss it the most because a lot of casual moviegoers are the ones who may not be hardcore movie fans, but they're ones who go to the movies on their dates and getting together or taking their mom out to do something or hanging out with some friends on a whatever night, but particularly first dates, especially it's these people who go to the movies four to five times a year that I actually think are going to be the ones that miss it the most. I will never understand. And listen, Everybody's got their own position on this, and I respect that. I do. But let me explain what I think and why I think it. It To me, it's – I'll use the word pathetic. It's pathetic how much of losers we've all become socially. More and more, we lose our social skills – and everything in our world has become about staying home. And I'm not talking about pandemic stuff. You guys remember Wally, -E, where their future, their vision of the future of humanity is just these people who never get out of their floating hover chairs. That's it. That's us. That's what we're turning into. 
And don't get me wrong. I love having Disney Plus or Netflix to be able to pop on something that I want to watch. I do. I value those. I love those. I talk about them all the time. But now we stay at home. And again, I'm, I'm, take the pandemic out of it. We sit on our asses at home. And we sit on our asses at home and watch... Uh, get on social media and, and just type stuff and take fake Instagram pictures and whatever. We sit on our asses at home and play our video games. And I love video games. But I'm just saying we sit on our asses at home to watch the football game. Something I did last night. We sit on our asses at home and do this. We sit on our asses at home and do that. And now we even want to go, you know what I want to do tonight? I want to do the same thing I did last night and the night before that and the night before that and the night before that. I want to sit on my ass on my couch and just watch a movie. Last night, I sat on my ass on my couch and played a video game. The night before that, I sat on my ass at home and watched this thing on uh, this other thing on TV. The night before that, I sat on my ass at home and just did whatever. And we are becoming socially crippled. I mean, and. Listen, I know I've, I've got some personal friends of mine that just don't ever leave the fucking house and they wonder why they don't have a girlfriend. Like I, I guess I got a couple of friends in Canada that, that, that I, I still, it's like, dude, they just never leave the house. They never get off. They never have any interactions. Like, dude, do you ever want a girl to touch you? I, I mean, anyway. And it's like, we become so socially crippled the the, the idea of just socially even the, the act of going out to the movies, like Chris Rock said a, a few weeks ago, it's like going to the movies is also like the most economical thing. Because if you want to get together with friends and go out and do something, you're spending hundreds of dollars on almost anything you're going out to do. You want to go to the bar just for the night and drink beers? You're spending, you're spending way more money than you spend going to the movies. But just the social aspect of getting physically together with friends, going out, you know, having these shared experiences. And that's not even talking about what a, what a better experience watching a movie in a theater with hundreds of other people is. It just, to me, I mean, we'll make a joke about it. It's like, yeah, man, I do want to sit on my ass at home. And we make a joke about it. But the reality is we see people with small, with less and less social skills. We see people like, I don't know, to me, it's just sad. It's just sad. And one of the reasons why I lament the loss of movie theaters. I mean, I mostly lament the loss of movie theaters because I love the movie going experience. It's the best way to watch a movie. But I also lament the loss of it because we're just becoming more and more socially stunted. And everybody just, be we're becoming bigger and bigger losers who just sit at home doing nothing. We're busy doing nothing. And I don't know. I, I think there's a broader sociological discussion to be had there that I'm not qualified to do. But yeah, it's kind of something that's kind of uh, stuck in my mind a little bit, bit about that. Anyway, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Camp Show, listen, guys, there are still a bunch of questions that we need to get through uh, from Chris, Double Crit, Logan James Kynaston, Bucky Rocks, Patrick Conway, and a whole bunch more. So here's what we're going to do. Tomorrow here on the John Campia uh, YouTube channel, we are going to have a companion video, and we are going to get through all of the outstanding questions. You guys sent them in. I'm going to make sure they're answered properly in a video. I just don't have another hour right now to go through all the rest. And sorry, like today, normally we have three or four topics. We had like 10 topics to cover today. 
It was a huge one. So again, for all you guys that I didn't get to your questions yet, don't worry. I'm going to put up a companion video tomorrow and we will get through all of the rest of your questions. In the meantime, guys, thank you to Robert Meyer Burnett for bringing his glory and greatness to the show. Thank you to all of you for spending some of your day here with us on the show. We really appreciate you taking some time out of your day. Also, guys, special thank you to all of you who sent in those live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here on the John Campia YouTube show, thank you guys very, very much for it. Don't forget, guys, do the four main things. Stay smart. Stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me, guys. Thanks a lot for being here. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.